light. Darkness. A balance. everyone and welcome to a slash filmcast bonus episode my name is david chen and with me are Devinder hardwar jeff canada and joining us today her work has appeared at vulture teen vogue slash film.com and thrillist Lindsay romaine welcome back to the slash filmcast Lindsay, how are you doing today I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, we are broadcasting again sooner than I thought we would <laughs> because, you know, Devendra made a, the really good suggestion that, hey, uh, there is so much conversation about The Last Jedi and we should really get in on it. We should really, you know, by the time next week, it'll be a little bit old. And so I, I agree. There's There's been a lot I want to say about it. Um, and, and, and I think I think the even the the broader point is, we all recorded our review before most of the world had seen the movie. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was, and it was so pure, Jeff. That review it really was. was so pure. <laughs> it's a glorious I loved, time. I loved the fact that we got that down because it would have been a very different episode. It would have been this episode. Uh, it would have been a very <laughs> different episode if we uh, had processed all of the general reaction pro and con to the movie from the public. So I, I'm really actually very glad that, uh, that, that is recorded. Like my feelings in a vacuum are recorded. <laughs> Preserved you know? in digital amber, Jeff. Yeah. Or in, yeah. you know, in carbonite, one of, one of the other, yeah. um, <laughs> as the case may be. Uh, but it, for example, like there's me ribbing Peter in yes. the episode yes. about the fact that he hated it. Like, because I thought so it he, was he did not hate it. Let's not, let's not, not hate spread it, rumors. But, yeah. No, yeah. I know. But I mean, that, but that was, that's the point is yeah. it was ribbing because I thought the idea of anyone hating it was impossible. Right. It right, seemed right. out of the realm of possibility to me. So I thought that was a joke of hyperbole to say that because Peter had some criticisms, he hated it. And and I just it's it's it, it was that, inconceivable to you that yes. people could hate this movie. Yeah, I actually just Jedi. yeah, I actually just re-listened to the episode uh, right before starting, and it was funny because right at the end, Dave, you say, "I think this is going to be divisive." And Jeff, you're like, "No." So, yeah, I mean, I was a I was a naive boy uh, of of uh, man a, a week ago. You know, I was such a <laughs> such a I had so little so much to learn about the world, and so so little had happened. Uh, so so yeah. let's break this down. Let's break this down. Um, there has been a very, as uh, correctly predicted by me, uh, there was an incredibly <laughs> polarized response to Star Wars: The Last Jedi uh, to to an extent that uh, like I-, I could not even have predicted. I mean, I predicted mm-hmm. it would be polarizing. I did not know it would be this intense. 
Well, and it's I, 2017, Dave, right? Yes. We can't have a civil conversation about anything. <laughs> That's so right. That's right. Everything and is an apocalypse. That is true, Dave. You you took the cynical point of view and were proven right. What <laughs> shocker there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I, I kind of want to want to break down uh, the, the responses I'm seeing. So so I think it really started to become evident, right, that Friday – uh, first of all, when we were seeing some of the Thursday. early Twitter reactions, or Thursday, you know, Friday time period, yeah. we were seeing some of the early Twitter reactions roll in. And then uh, the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, which is a thing that nobody pays attention to normally, uh, was tracking at way under the critic score. The critic score is around 92, 93%. And the uh, audience score, uh, which is created by like people who are on the site who are like not rated to be quality critics or whatever, you know, it's, it theoretically represents the pulse of the populace. Uh, it was closer to 59%, you know, and typically we see big uh, gaps in, in the Rotten Tomatoes critic score and audience score. That is not an uncommon thing, but it is usually in the other direction. It's usually uh, Transformers The Last Night, for instance, you know, having a, a pretty terrible uh, Rotten Tomatoes critic score but having a much better audience score because everyone kind of loves their Transformers. You know, uh, Transformers last night had a 16% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics, <laughs> but a 45% audience score. So that's 30% in the uh, positive direction when you go to audience. Now, within these groups, within these uh, gr- th- this group of audience uh, that's dissatisfied with The Last Jedi, I would break it down as follows. And you guys tell me what you think of this, okay? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Hillary Clinton uh, and you know, or, or paraphrase Hillary Clinton and say like, you have your basket of deplorables who uh, <laughs> hate the progressive politics of uh, the Last Jedi, uh, hate that there are so many uh, diverse characters. There's a lot of women, a lot of minority characters, and also we should point out that uh, largely the movie is about women telling men that they're doing it wrong. You know that they're yeah. they shouldn't be so hot headed. Um, Men not listening to women, <laughs> not listening to women, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's a shocker that men on the internet took this the wrong way. So you have you have people who are just like not good people, just bad people uh, who don't like this movie. So that's just like we're, I'm probably not going to do much to address those people during this episode. Then you have your hardcore Star Wars fans who uh, don't like what this movie, The Last Jedi, has done to the franchise, to the myth, mm-hmm. to the lore. Uh, they just are, are, aren't a fan of the direction that Ryan Johnson has taken this movie. And within I- that, there is a subcategory that I just I didn't even think about during our review, which is people that were really into the extended universe. Now, Demir, uh, I don't know, uh, did you guys... Any, any of you read the extended universe books? I used to read like the Timothy Zahn mm-hmm. extended I read universe novelizations. Yeah, I have no attachment to any of that stuff. No. Right, but but I so, read a lot of it. Yeah, I read the Timothy Zahn, and I used to read. I think it's like the X Wing. I don't remember the exact names of them, but I've read a substantial amount of the EU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those and, Timothy Zahn books came out in what, like ninety three, ninety four, ninety three. I'm pretty sure. Decades yeah. ago. Yeah. So this is dating us <laughs> unless you read it recently <laughs> but i mean i definitely read those when they came out the reason i read those timothy zahn books when i came out is because i didn't think there was ever going to be another star wars movie yeah that's right and mm-hmm. the way those books were marketed at the time was here's as close to a like canonical continuation of the story as we are likely ever going to get 
And so I rushed out and bought them because I thought, well, this is exciting. I'll, I know I'm never going to get another Star Wars movie. I mean, this is before the prequels. I know I'm never going to get another Star Wars movie, but at least I can imagine what one mind took, mm-hmm. where one mind took this, and it sort of got the uh, the stamp of approval from Lucasfilm. Uh, but but I think it's hard for people to even remember a time when we thought there were only going to be three Star Wars movies ever. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, and do, do you guys have a sense, by the way, of how this movie in particular, I don't know, uh, messes up in the EU? Because we knew after the Disney Lucasfilm deal that that stuff would be gone. That that stuff isn't Correct. canon so, anymore. So Disney declared a few years movie. ago that, hey, we're doing away with the extended universe so we can tell new stories. And I think uh, the biggest betrayal of that extended universe is the character of Luke Skywalker. I mean, even Mark Hamill himself yes. has said, uh, I did not agree that that was Luke Skywalker. I did not agree with that version of Luke Skywalker. He's kind of a bitter old man who's closed himself off to the Force. And uh, that's just simply not the Luke Skywalker that's depicted in the EU. So I'm not right. saying – I'm not trying to, to – I am not in any way uh, disparaging or denigrating uh, people who were really invested in that in the EU. I'm just simply trying to explain that um, there are people out there who are, are very disappointed in the new film because they've invested so much emotionally into the EU mm-hmm. and um, have found that it, it, it really truly does betray a lot of – of what the Luke Skywalker character was depicted yeah. as in that, in that series. And so. I'm not sure anything like that has ever happened in fandom, right? right. Where this big extended yeah. universe existed for a while, and then the real owners were like, oh, you know, or no, that, that was supported by Lucas and everything. And then after a while, they're like, you know, nah, let's just, I think, let's just go back on that. I think another element of it, too, is that people expected, because The Force Awakens kind of borrows things from the EU, mm-hmm. like Kylo Ren is sort of, there's a character in the EU named Jason Solo who is kind of a Kylo Ren figure. I think they were maybe thinking, okay, mm. they threw out the EU, but they're still going to reincorporate it, just maybe in like a different way. And this movie was like, no, <laughs> not at all. This movie doesn't even incorporate you know, canonical elements of the last movie, right? I mean, right, 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 it, right. it so far strikes off its own direction. Anyway, I'm almost done with my category uh, categorization here, which is like, number one, the, the deplorables, number two, like the, the quote-unquote hardcore Star Wars fans who really didn't like what this movie did to the franchise, um, of which a subset is extended universe fans. And then number three, people who are just have legitimate grievances with the movie as as a like a piece of filmmaking. Right. And the festivist crowd, and and those people uh, in category three, I feel, just get lost. Like it's it's been very challenging to bring up problems with this movie online Mm -hmm. without being accused of being like a terrible hardcore Star Wars fan or a racist or a sexist. Um, It's just been a a fairly toxic uh, environment under which to talk about this movie, and that's been unfortunate. But Jeff, you were going to say something. Well, now that you framed it that way, I I. I... (laughs) I'm worried that I will step in it uh, as I might uh, repeatedly, as I often do on this show. Um, As you often do, but but go ahead, Jeff. I will say, and I will try to put this as gently and as respectfully as I can, because I don't mean it to be dismissive. I truly don't. And I hope people hear that before what I say, which is, I think... Well, let's just say maybe I don't think. Let me just present it as a question. (laughs) (laughs) I'll present it as a question. (laughs) <laughs> Do you guys think that there is perhaps some people that think they are in category two, but 
on a certain level are kind of in category one. They would never (laughs) describe themselves in the terms that the hardcore category one people do and would never express the views that those people express. Mm -hmm. But the, the sort of uneasy feeling that they can't quite put their finger on that feels like a violation of star Wars that they don't even know how to express may have some tendrils that lead into category one. Yeah. And maybe not yes. through their fault entirely right. too. Right. It's, right. Right. This is a fan culture that's been around forever, uh, has not always been so kind to women and inclusive to women in general. Um, it's spent, it is one of the first fandoms on the internet. You know, it is all of these right. things put together. Um, so I feel, I feel bad for those people who may be in category two, who may be espousing some potential views of category one, uh, I honestly, by the way, I want to hear like more legitimate complaints about the movie. I feel like we brought up some of the main ones in our review. Uh, I have yet to read a good takedown of this movie on legitimate grounds, like why this movie fails uh, on the terms of the movie and not just because it's not the Star Wars movie you want and not just because it ruins your fandom. Well, I, I am going to well, try I... to represent uh, <laughs> the point of view of the people in Category 3 on this episode mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the podcast. So, well, but I, the... I will tell you, I have been in, I have been in hundreds of texts, <laughs> long text chains <laughs> with close Same. friends. I'm sure all of us have, right? Yeah. Uh, the, with close friends who are, I think, probably mostly in Category 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, of course, am in whatever the category is of the person who loved the movie and, and not, just not loves it. Not described right, in my right. taxonomy. Yep. Right. Uh, it's a, it's a different genus. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I definitely, uh, have definitely had most exposure to the category three point of view, which is sort of a filmmaking slash, uh, um, conceptual, problem pacing all those kinds of issues Mm -hmm. uh arguments i've been having those arguments all week or two weeks however long it's been one one week it seems like one week (laughs) seems like a month i started out a naive barely one who thought that everyone would love his movie his favorite movie of the year and uh no whatever uh, Lindsay, I want to hear from you about you, you know what has been your experience watching this movie, talking about it online, because uh, you you seem to agree heartily with uh, with uh, Jeff's <laughs> assessment that there might be people who um, uh, think that they're just like a hardcore Star Wars fan, but in fact are perpetuating some more unfortunate viewpoints. I think yeah, I mean I'm kind of with you guys. I saw it at a press screening, so I also had the glory of kind of seeing it without the conversation being all around it. So I saw it without all of this prejudgment and was so high on it, especially because of the critical like early word was very positive. So I was like, Oh my God, we're all, we all agree. This is so great. I was so excited. I went to the opening night screening with some friends, came back, checked Twitter and was like, Oh no, (laughs) it's the community gift. Yeah. Yeah. I I will admit I was also quite stunned uh, that the reaction was so uh, negative from from people. Well, and from people who I I trust and respect too. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just like random people on the internet. It was like, 
film critics that I respect, you know, had a very lukewarm reaction, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, no I'm not even right. saying like film critics. I'm thinking like a lot of people I know who like movies or are into geeky things, and I think are more thoughtful about their opinions about things. Uh, came out hating the movie. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. funny watching Twitter this week because like you would have somebody who just saw it was like, oh, I loved it, and then right right behind this, oh, I hated it, and then <laughs> yeah. that's that's kind of it, like that all and week. It's just we- really stunned me. I had to block an actual like Ooh. old friend on Facebook who <laughs> I I shared Jacob Hall's article that slash from article that's like Star Wars doesn't uh, the Last Jedi doesn't care yeah. what you think. Oh, how yeah, dare great you. article. It went viral this great week, article. Uh, and, and think- it kind of sums up like what the Last Jedi is trying to do really well. So. Totally, and I think maybe the title sounds a little harsher than what his points right, are. Right. Um, and I, that's what I think maybe this person responded to was just whatever, and just said something really nasty to me Ooh. in a personal way. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? This is like not something. It just it spurned this kind of hatred and intensity that I was not expecting at all, in general. And to go off of Jeff Jeff's point, which is you know, are there some people that maybe. Um, think they're in category two, but are maybe in category one. I can't, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus or say anything because I, I don't think if you're in that category, you think or are necessarily a bad person. But I think if your knee jerk response is, I'm not one of those people, if you know you're not one of those people, you know you're not one of those people, you know? <laughs> and so that's always been my my thought with that. If you know you're not, you know, an asshole racist, then you're not. And you don't have to defend yourself from it. And when you try really hard to defend yourself from it and end up saying stuff that's kind of nasty in the process, which I've seen a lot of, that's where I think it gets into this murky territory. Mm-hmm. So so at this I, point, uh, how many times have we seen the film? I, I actually saw it twice. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think everyone here has seen it twice. Lindsay, have you yeah. seen it twice? I saw it four times. Wow. <laughs> the fourth time was <laughs> kind of an accident. Barely four days since the <laughs> premiere, but wow. Lindsay it's tripped been... and fell and uh, ended up in the theater where they're showing it the fourth time. Right? Well, the first time I saw the press screen, the second time I went with friends opening night. The third time I was like, I probably won't get to see this again in theaters, so I'm just going to go. <laughs> and then the fourth time I was at like a holiday party and after some beers, we were all like, let's go see it. So that's kind <laughs> sure. of nice. I, uh, yeah. I saw it the first time at a press screening, uh, and then the second time was the very first showing at the Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, which is sort of the historic place for Yeah, they do movie premieres Star Wars. there and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it's also, uh, for Star Wars in particular, in 77, it was sort of ground zero for the the hype that became the sort of grassroots movement of Star Wars. Um, yeah. and they kind of make a big deal about that. I saw... Um, the Force Awakens there on opening night as well, and it's cool. They do a whole big shindig, like you get special a special card that says you were there opening night, and they have people dressed up, and they have special all kinds of special stuff, and it's cool. But um, the reason I bring it up also is that uh, that second time I saw it in 3D, so I don't know if anybody's mm-hmm. seen it in 3D yet. Was it yeah, worth I it saw it to... once in 3D. <laughs> that was yeah, one I... of uh, Lindsay's four viewings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought I thought the 3D actually was done pretty well. I wouldn't say it was really worth the extra ticket price like i didn't right. add much to the to the movie but i actually thought that the the 3d the 3d experience was was pretty solid you didn't come I, away I thinking had... that was a waste of money right you just i didn't think it was a waste of money i spent yeah. like no. it was like 40 dollars to see that movie that night by the way <laughs> uh, yeah i did that yeah. too i did one of the fan screenings that was like 40 dollars. was so that was kind of a waste of money but <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a separate conversation. but it was cool <laughs> to be there and be part yeah, of it yeah. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I don't think it's worth the extra money. Uh, but I didn't think it took anything away from the movie. I, I thought it actually was a pretty, pretty solid 3D. Uh, yeah, conversion. I, I think we saw that too with Force Awakens. Like the 3D, it was still a post conversion, but they did a decent job for certain scenes. Um, I saw it again last night actually at the Dolby Prime screen at the AMC uh, Empire here. And have to say, there are a handful of these screens around the country and the world at this point. If you can see this movie there, just do it. Totally it is agree. enormous best, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. My press screening was on a Dolby screen, and it was incredible. I would only so ever good. watch movies that way. If I yeah, because <laughs> the screen is huge. It is like floor to ceiling. Um, there's like a very limited amount of seats, but the sound is just like it oh, shakes your seat. There, uh, there are many, many subwoofers in that theater, and it is like louder than Dunkirk in IMAX. You know, it's just like hitting the you. light yeah. speed scene where the, you know, where Laura Dern's yep. ship in Dolby is like out of this world. You just feel it in your thing. stomach. Did yeah, you yeah, back? Yeah. We should say, by the way, that we are going to spoil The Last Jedi. Yeah, to, sorry. To shred. Yeah. No, no, no. It's cool. You didn't, you didn't really say anything that much. <laughs> should be but uh, yeah, we are going to spoil everything. So, um, you know, yeah. you shouldn't. Did leave. you guys, yeah. did you guys see somebody, somebody tweeted today uh, a picture of a sort of just uh, eight by ten, or eight, you know, eight and a half by eleven, white sheet of paper printed out that was posted at an AMC theater on the on the door of the theater showing the Last Jedi that said, uh, "There is uh, a here. scene about an hour and a half in." Yeah, yeah I got it. This, I have the exact quote here. Uh, the Last <laughs> Jedi contains a sequence at approximately one hour and fifty two minutes into the movie, in which all sound stops for about ten full seconds. While the images continue to play on the screen, you will hear nothing. This is intentionally done by the director for a creative effect. This is I actually not new. saw so they gave that that notification to um, projectionists. Yeah, projectionists. Before, yeah. And I saw that. That was one of my only spoilers before this movie was that oh, someone on man. Twitter posted the projection note. So I knew that there was a moment of silence at some point. <laughs> oh, someone, someone posted it before you saw the press screening? Yeah. It, oh, wow. I think because they sent that ahead to projectionists. Wow. Mm, mm. Um Probably like a week or so. Whenever they delivered the film, I don't know. Yeah, because if you were <laughs> if you were a projectionist and that moment happens, you'd probably like be freaking out about yeah, something. Yeah, going I, I used to be a projectionist and I would have freaked yeah, out. Yeah, because it's so. not like there's <laughs> nothing going on on screen at that time. Right. You know I mean, there's right. stuff well, you'd going worry on. that you yeah. like mess something up. Yeah, yeah. it's I such a projectionist too. Times. I was yeah. a projectionist too, and I never sat an hour and 52 <laughs> minutes into a movie. I started the projector and left. <laughs> I didn't, unless it was a Star Wars. My, the first movie I ever did projection on was Revenge of the Sith. So I've oh, wow. Guys, come on. I uh, like. I used to be a projectionist for real, like with the reels, with the cigarette burns, Me and you have to press... Too. Me too, dude. Yeah. Come on. You, well, you can't just leave those, Jeff. You need to be there for the change. <laughs> oh, I, had, I had brain wraps, dude. You ever had a brain wrap? <laughs> yeah. That's like that scene... That's it's it's like that scene uh, in Gremlins, but for real, you know, where the Gremlins where that <laughs> you, you got to be more through. specific, there, Jeff. <laughs> you know, in Gremlins, that scene through. where they I think it's actually in Gremlins two, actually, yeah. but uh, where they uh, they're in the theater and then they like the the movie's going normally and then it stops for a second and then it starts burning through the film mm. on the screen. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, that ha- that happens uh, with actual celluloid if because the, <laughs> the 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 lamp that is used to shine light through the celluloid is so hot that if the celluloid stops for too long in one spot, it will literally melt the celluloid. Mm. So the, what happens yeah. is the good old as the, yeah, as the uh, film, the actual film back when that was a thing was be, is being fed off these giant platters inside the projection room. Uh, and if any of them 
have any problems, things, you know, there's a strand that gets screwed up and things start unspooling and everything stops and, <laughs> and clogs, then you get what's called a brain wrap where it wraps around the brain of the, uh, mm. of the projector. And, uh, so you're, you're bad at your job event. basically is what you're saying. Oh, I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrible. Left the screening, set everything on fire. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I want to give scared. a shout out to uh, Brian Davids in the chat room who has seen, uh, the movie, the last Jedi eight times. Uh, that's wow. like once per day since it was out. Yeah, so that's pretty nice. G- give it some time. Let it let it sit <laughs> a little. Uh, I have to say, I really appreciated having a week between these screenings, even though I've seen it twice. Um, first of all, these warnings. Uh, that is the most 2017 thing I, I could think of right now, uh, by the way, because it's like if an audience has five seconds of silence to think about anything, they'll realize the emptiness of their lives and just get up and leave. I guess that's what it is. I, I don't know. Um, oh, so I, I saw the movie a second time with my fiance on the Friday morning of release. And uh, at our local theater, uh, the movie was screening every hour, uh, f- yeah. 24 hours. So like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. It was screening. Uh, we went to the 7 a.m. showing on Friday morning so I could go before work. Wow. And yeah. uh, when we got there, the uh, kid who was ripping the tickets, who looked like he couldn't have been more than like 21 years old, uh, was uh, – you know, we talked – I said thank you for your service – um, and, uh, he said he had been working <laughs> like since midnight. He had been working since midnight. Uh, you know, it was like 6.30 AM when we got there. He had been working since midnight and he had not been able to see the film yet. Um, so oh, he was man. working, doing the tickets and he, like people were dropping spoilers, walking out of the theater and he had to listen to it. Uh, so, you know, that guy sacrificed his, you know, Friday, early, early morning. So everyone could enjoy the movie. Uh, guy at Regal Meridian in downtown Seattle at Friday morning for Last Jedi, <laughs> I salute you. Just wanted to give shout him a shout out. Shout out to you. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have to say, by the way, that this movie, um, I think more than anything I've seen this year in theaters, really rewards multiple viewings, right? Um, because yeah. going into something like this, right, I am the first viewing. I'm eager to like, okay, what's happening with Ray? What, what's going on? Who are her parents? What's the plot? What's going on here? Uh, and you watch these movies a very different way, especially this movie. You watch it a very different way the second and third time. Um, you're really able to like I could take a step back and really look at the pacing and actually felt like there was less of a pacing issue. I think before I was just really eager to get to the the interesting race stuff. And the second time, like the Canto Bite stuff, uh, everything with Rose, actually, I really loved Rose the second time around because yeah, me too. her. Yeah. Like her, her portrayal, like the actress is so open hearted, like she has such a big heart and it really shows through entirely in the on screen. Uh, the Canto Bite stuff, I actually appreciate as being like a very different side of the galaxy that we've never really seen before in these movies. And I think that's partially it. These movies are showing us a lot of new things like Leia uh, using the force to fly in space and astral projection and force time. And all that stuff is hard to uh, to kind of uh, stomach all at once. And this movie also gives you narrative whiplash, like several times. So it's easy to feel disoriented as you're watching it, right? Because Ryan Johnson sets up these plot points and completely reverses it. He completely implodes J.J. Abrams' mystery box. And I think for a lot of people, that was a big problem, too. Because, you know, the way Abrams works, he sets up these nice little tidbits of plot and gets you interested for a while. And... Ryan Johnson basically exploded all of them. And yeah. I think that's why a lot of people have been pissed. Too. Arguably retcons yeah. some of yeah. them. Um, but, yeah. but so uh, to to respond to what you just said, Devendra, I mean, 
I think sometimes you watch a movie again and you appreciate it more. You're, you're like, this is yeah. much more brilliant than I thought it was. Sometimes you watch a movie again and you realize its flaws more. And for me, that was actually yeah. my experience. I mean, I I had a good time the second time watching the movie again, but its flaws were uh, more uh, stood out in more relief to me uh, the second time. And uh, all the stuff with like the Canto by it, it really mm-hmm. worked even less for me, knowing that it would be completely inconsequential. Right. I, but I, it's, I understand. Shorter. it's shorter than we thought. It, yeah, it's only like a few. It's like what five, ten minutes. You know, it's, it's not, under ten minutes. Yeah, like, it's, it's not. not you're right. It is not that yeah. long. And for for a sequence of the movie that's really short, it does seem to attract a lot of uh, vitriol online. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it I just is from... like so much. It, it, they're yeah. trying to cram so much stuff into that plot yeah. line like there's a there's an animal rights subplot in in the thing you know I mean, they, uh, they, it hints at a lot of things i don't think it like is making a tr- like a long essay about all of them but it does st- it's like seeing the cantina for the first time it's like oh what's this alien what's going on over here who's who's singing yeah, what's yeah, the no, song? I, I agree with yeah. you that what's what's cool about that sequence is it does expand the universe of star wars because most you know the vast majority of star wars stuff we've seen is very similar planets, uh, all of them involved in this yep. kind of war between, you know, the Republic or the Empire and the Resistance or the Rebellion. Well, you know, it's all kind of centered around that conflict. And here's a planet that like doesn't have to do with any of that really. They don't give a crap about any of that stuff. Um, yeah. And this and planet so that, is just making bank from all of the mess, right? You know, and, the, and that's the kind war of, is untouched over there, yeah. right? So th- that is kind of I, I appreciate the principle of that, you know, um, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it it worked less for me on on second viewing just because we know how it ends, which is that uh, the the quest that they're on is uh, is ultimately not achieved. Uh, but yeah, Lindsay, I think the realization which... the realization of that world isn't as strong as it perhaps could be. But for me, the biggest crime uh, that 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 sequence mm-hmm. commits is that I should want a long ear. I should dream about leaping on the back of a long ear. Like I dream about leaping onto a speeder bike in return of the Jedi. But that the, the action sequence that that leads up to does not do that. for me. And I I think, I think just as a, a pure, um, realization of that fantasy, it's just not fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, Devinger, you're saying like it doesn't it doesn't uh, fully explore this, but there is this kind of big moment that Finn and Rose have that's uh, where you know he says, "Well, at least it was worth it to completely destroy that city." And she says, and she like takes the saddle off and you know sends a long ear out. And she's like, "Now it's worth it." And yeah. that just felt really unearned to me. You know, I, I did not feel like, oh, this is the culmination of this very well thought out plot line. I mean, uh, they they did just they did actually release a whole. You know, a whole band of these little last guardian creatures, which uh, you know, <laughs> good, I good found it to be, I found it to be kind of rewarding in that respect, right? They did, they did something, they accomplished something, even though they're not stopping everything. Uh, that didn't seem totally unearned. And another thing in that sequence, uh, I do hope we get to see more of uh, Justin Thoreau's Master Codebreaker. That's like a fun little character riff he was doing, and I hope he shows up again in a future movie. Well, I don't know. Even that, even that little bit of him felt goofy. I was like, "Oh, this is the person we've been trying the right to find. kind of goofy." Yeah, I don't know. yeah there's it, been you know there's been a lot of um, a lot of things that have come to light in the last week since we recorded our uh-huh. episode. Right. Uh, one thing that I appreciated you know, that I saw on Twitter was 
Uh, someone said, it is now Star Wars canon that Maz Kanata and Justin <laughs> Thoreau have fucked in this yeah, movie. I, um, yeah. <laughs> or in this universe, uh, which I yeah. thought was pretty hilarious. Uh, and another thing that, that came to light is there was some debate during our Last Jedi episode about how much leash did Ryan Johnson have? And, you know, mm-hmm. was he being dictated to about what he could do? And the answer seems to be not at all. Uh, yeah. That he kind of had free reign to do basically anything. Like he could close well, out the Snoke and the Ray storylines however he wanted. Uh, well, the, which... the the worst ramification for that, I think, is that there was no overarching three film structure. Right. There was no. There was nothing set in stone before the Force Awakens happened. That was the arc of this trilogy, which I think is a little strange, <laughs> surprising. I mean, it it may be strange. I... It's probably a good thing. That they didn't have yeah. that. Yeah. I Lindsay, actually I don't know about that. It's like, it's like, it's a, I think it's a classic JJ starting a show with an awesome first episode and not having any idea where it's going. <laughs> Lindsay, go ahead. I was actually going to speak to the point too, because I, I do think that there's so much emphasis placed on having something planned out ahead of time now. I've seen that mm-hmm. argument a lot about it. And like George Lucas didn't have the original trilogy planned out. Luke and Leia make out in the second episode. <laughs> like, right, you right. know, I, I think that there's a lot of value in seeing how, maybe not seeing how people respond to it and going through that, but just seeing how the movie lands and going from there. I don't think that's a bad thing. I yeah. think that's yeah. creativity, you know, and I think that's, there's, I don't think that, kind of each person bringing a different perspective to this thing is a bad thing. I think that's kind of, isn't that kind of what we want a little bit Mm -hmm. from this because it's so, I understand certain things and I I do actually, I think they might be playing lip service a little bit. I feel like there's maybe some things planned out to a certain degree, um, (laughs) at least in terms of like the Ray parentage thing. Right it's come out that JJ and Ryan agreed on that. Like, even though Ryan has said, like, I didn't have to, to do this. So I, I think that there are some things kind of in plan that they don't want to, they want to like make it well, look like to, this a tour driven thing, you know? Well, to, to disagree with myself completely, uh, in that last <laughs> moment, um, and agree with you guys, uh, one of the things that people have criticized the last Jedi for that I just don't understand is this feeling of, well, now I don't know what episode nine is going to be. Right. Yeah. Which is, I just yeah. do not fundamentally understand that criticism. Like for like, the right, first the time. Exciting part. Yeah, for yes. the first time in Star Wars history, we have no idea what's going to come next. How great mm. is it that it's not this freaking template that or, is so Or not Star Wars history, like the last, uh, you know, f- 20 years, let's say. Well, and, Star Wars and what's what's so great about that is that another thing that I don't understand is that a lot of the criticisms of this movie are JJ problems and not Ryan Johnson problems. Agreed. A hundred percent. They are, they are things that he set up that Ryan had to reconcile with that. I don't think he would have necessarily chosen to, if he didn't have to Luke being secluded on that planet is one of them. That's not something he decided. That's something that he was handed and had to make it real. A lot of other things, the Ray Snoke, whatever, are things that Ryan, it wasn't necessarily his choice and he just had to kind of go with it the way that he could. And Mm -hmm. that's been kind of one of the interesting things is like, well, what was Luke supposed to do on this Island based off of what you think the force awakens set up? Was he supposed to be like super psyched to be on the planet? You know, it doesn't really make sense. Um, It's like, I don't know. Islands are mysterious. Okay. It works. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, Okay. So really I want this uh, episode to kind of, be our opportunity to 
to go back and say some of the things we wish we could have said, you know, on the, on last yeah. week's episode of, of the show. And I, I have a few things uh, that I want to talk about. Um, but one of them is upon watching the movie a second time and also rewatching The Force Awakens in the last week, uh, it does occur to me that there was, yeah, some retconning going on. One of the biggest pieces mm-hmm. was Jeff Kanata. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago when we, when we reviewed the, the Force Awakens, you were super psyched at the Knights of Ren, right? These yeah. people that um, <laughs> Kylo Ren had recruited and had uh, they had together taken down the Jedi Temple. Now, it is mentioned in this movie, The Last Jedi, that Kylo Ren takes some disciples with him, which we never hear anything about. Uh, but we, it's it's never alluded to that there were Knights of Ren. It's never alluded to that these disciples helped him destroy the temple. Uh, it feels like the Knights of Ren was just is just completely done away with in service of the or kind of Rashomon esque retelling in this episode uh, this episode of the of the franchise. So uh, that is that is interesting. Um, and I I think to go back into my headspace of what two years ago, um, <laughs> I think perhaps one of the reasons that I was so stoked about that. Uh, was that there's not a lot in The Force Awakens that's new. I mean, the characters are new, and I remember being effusive about my praise for the characters because I think the characters are wonderful. Uh, but I, it, it felt like the concepts at play, I mean, we went on at length about Starkiller Base being, uh, all these analogs, right? Right. And this concept of the Knights of the Ren felt like it could be a, a really interesting new idea that is explored in the Star Wars universe. And part of the thing that I love about The Last Jedi is how much new it's boldly willing to introduce. And a, a few of the things, a few of the places where I think it misses the mark, especially in a rewatching, were where there are opportunities to even go more new. Like, we didn't need to have new AT-AT walkers at the end in the, like those could be a completely new thing on the uh, salt planet, right? That could be a, a fight with completely new visuals. So much of the visuals in that scene are great and new, but you know, like I wish more of this new trilogy gave us fresh, interesting ideas. I mean, even as we criticize uh Canto bite a bit, I at least admire the fact that it seems like a completely new corner of the universe in there and we're introducing new ideas into the worlds instead of just another desert planet or another ice planet. Like the idea of a salt planet is fucking amazing. (laughs) It's so cool. Did did you guys see that Twitter thread about the guy who was like, he was like, what kind of crazy person tastes a planet? (laughs) (laughs) Like, have you ever, (laughs) can you imagine going to a new planet that you've never been to before and just tasting it? (laughs) <laughs> that's just a Look weird the, thing i forget who whose thread that is but that is oh owen ellickson i believe wrote that thread yeah. okay somebody yeah. some guy I actually on, in an infinite timeline in infinite <laughs> space there is a chocolate planet and i will i will taste the hell out of that chocolate planet <laughs> uh Lindsay, go ahead i actually i was just gonna say that moment i've seen people say as some kind of meta commentary also that like people are salty about <laughs> about stuff <laughs> In that's, Star Wars, I don't know if that's true, but I, I, I thought it was funny. a. I heard it like on Reddit that it's a meta moment to be like, uh, "Hey, this really isn't Hoth," you know? Uh, right. Yeah, it's, it's right, the movie's too, way of explaining too, yeah, like yeah. we're not on Hoth, you know? Right. Yeah, I love that also too. to have a Gareth Edwards cameo because that's really what it is. Oh, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. it? Ah. It's Gareth Edwards, uh, not the one who tastes it, but the, the one guy who's next right behind him. him. Yeah, the guy who's great. like, "What is this idiot doing?" Yeah, um, yeah. To what you're saying, though, Jeff, I think this is. Like in terms of Star Wars, this is the newest 
Star Wars we've ever gotten, right? That takes us to new places and shows us new things. The prequels, you know, for all their faults, actually threw in a lot of new stuff. Oh, yeah. A Naboo lot of it was amazing. Good. Yeah, and some of it looked really interesting. I think conceptually is interesting. But in terms of, like, pushing the story forward and away from, like, the Luke setup, I think, in, in a way, and introducing new things and telling us there's more plot going on beyond this, you know, this family, uh, this movie is doing new, interesting things. And I kind of feel like that's part of the backlash against it, too. A lot of people were complaining about Ray being a nobody as if that devalues her as a character. Because I knew so many people who had money th- betting that it was like, oh, she's clearly uh, uh, Obi-Wan's uh, daughter or something like that. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I think so, you're so, supposed to, I think the movie is supposed to make you think that she and Kylo are brother and sister. And then that, that's the swerve at the end. Like we're supposed to think that they have a link like Luke Ooh. and Leia have a link. No, that tension a seemed a little read. more, a little more interesting. I was going to say, I have a yeah. very <laughs> different read on that. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. something I've noticed this in a converse, in conversation with men versus women, for some reason that women see all of the Kylo Ray <laughs> stuff is very sexual. <laughs> Well, that is a Tinder and... connection right there. Yeah, no, no, I've even... read it as like there is a lot of sexual tension as well. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, that's my mm. big thing. I know we kind of talked about. Well, Dave and I talked a little bit about Ray's arc in this movie, and a lot of that to me is her learning how to follow her desire, um, whether that's good or bad. But Ray has the stereotypical "I can save the bad boy, I can make him mm. a good boy" <laughs> uh, thing that I think is a big part of adolescent girlhood at least straight girlhood you know that you think you can save this bad boy (laughs) um (laughs) and that i think that's a really uh, kind of a thing she she sees that luke isn't going to be there for her in the way that she needs him to be or that she expected him to be and so all of this connection with kylo is her kind of coming to terms with Maybe I like this. I don't think it's quite. Mm-hmm. I think it's more subtextual than he that. He understands but I think, me. Yeah. 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 He can be the one. He can be my answer to all of this. He can save. We can save each other. There's just like so much <laughs> of that in there to me. So I want to well, talk a the, little bit more about the the Ray arc. Uh, and yeah. I've seen. You know, this is kind of one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Lindsay, because I, I think uh, from what I saw on Twitter that the Ray character really resonates with you. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, you know, I've read some opinions online this week that I I kind of am really um, sympathetic to. You know, the so uh, first of all, Star Wars in many ways. I'm sorry, Star Wars: The Last Jedi in many ways um, blows up a lot of what the previous films valued. You know, it's all about right, right. are you uh, in the bloodline of the Skywalker family? Like, are you unknowingly? one of the chosen ones, right? That That is yeah. going to help bring balance to the force. It's going to be, you know, help save the Republic or um, uh, save the um, the rebellion or the resistance or whatever. Uh, that there is something in, like, lineage and, uh, and, and the, the, like, honoring your ancestry, honoring your, uh, your origins that uh, this, this movie series has always revered. Uh, Last Jedi says... Forget about all that. The Force belongs to everyone now, right? Yeah. Even the little broom kid at the end can can manipulate the Force. And um, so it's kind of saying everything that came before, you know, what I really liked about the message is everything that came before, we keep it in our hearts or you know, in the Millennium Falcon you know, book drawer. Uh, <laughs> but we, we forge on ahead without it. You know, uh, Ray tries to strike a balance between the old and the new. Adam Driver, character, uh, Kylo Ren's character says, uh, forget about the past, bury it. 
You know, is what he says in the movie. Um, and Ray says, we're not going to bury it. We're going to honor it. But we're also not going to be beholden to it. Right. And yeah, but also kill it if you have to. Which shows <laughs> yeah. his, uh, yeah. He goes a little extra far. Yeah, kill it if you have this. to. But otherwise, <laughs> uh, try not to kill it. And just I, I have to say this democratization of power. Uh, anybody who watched Buffy, uh, we, we saw this yeah. like Buffy went yeah. from a show that was all about there is this chosen one who's here to fight evil. And by the end, uh, it was, oh, by the way, this this power belongs to all women. Well, 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 hold, 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 hold. I have. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. A lot of people say, say. Go ahead. Lindsay, you start and then Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, I totally get that. I felt kind of that Buffy connection also. But I also think it's a Star Wars tradition. I mean, there are the Skywalkers. There's also mm-hmm. an entire Jedi Order that is not a bloodline thing. In fact, they yeah. don't marry and they don't have kids. So that's kind of the... The point is that everyone has always been able to be Jedi. So I don't think this is backtracking any kind of Star Wars mythos for her to not be. I think she's still a chosen one to a degree in that Snoke kind of infers that she's that the forces answer to Kylo in a way. She's trying to she is the other super raw person who's going to restore this kind of balance to his extreme darkness or whatever. Um, but I don't think it's it's saying that the force has always belonged to everyone and that's always been a concept. And so I think these people are really angry that Ray is not someone special bloodline wise. I don't think that that's even going against star Wars history. Well, this is, this is what I was about to say that the, the, my theory probably wrong, but my theory (laughs) of what the nine episode Skywalker saga is, is it started that the force was for everybody. And mm-hmm. then the moment Anakin Skywalker was born, that changed. He wiped out all the Jedi, had to be redeemed. And then this new trilogy is re-democratizing the force. Totally. It is, mm-hmm. it, is, it, is a, it goes from every, there's tons of Jedi, there's tons of Sith, everybody's, everybody's rocking and rolling. <laughs> to, no, to only one person says, no, it's all for me. It's all for me. I get it all. I have more power than I got more midichlorians than anybody. <laughs> it's all for me. Yeah. And then we we have to it, the the entire struggle of this nine episode arc is to get back to a place where no, it's for everyone. And the yeah. Skywalkers are actually the worst thing that could ever yeah. have happened to the force. That's what I was going to bring up. Also, is that I love that this movie subverts this idea that the Skywalkers are the special one. I think this proves after. <laughs> two trilogies that the Skywalkers are like the poisoned blood. Let's just kill all the Skywalkers. Yeah. Well, the idea that anybody, (laughs) anybody that says I want to take from the many and give to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is that's really what Darth Vader did was the, I'm going to go and kill everybody else. That's like me and be the only one left. And then, Oh, Nope. You had a kid, you had two kids. And so there is hope that we can, you know, there, there'll be more of them. And then all of a sudden the force literally awakens, not mm-hmm. in Ray, but it, around the galaxy. And now we're, because the Skywalkers are waning, we get to be back to a place <laughs> where, you know, but there's still this evil last Skywalker in the form of uh, Kylo Ren. So maybe it, it all leads up to that realization. I don't who, know. Who would have thought an evil yeah. Skywalker? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think what I love most about this movie is it really puts the Skywalkers and the Jedi on blast. Basically, it's like, you you guys, you, you've had thousands of years and you fucked it up. 
you fucked this all up. What did you go back to like the geeky, like what was Darth Vader's motivation? What was Anakin's motivation? It was like the whole, the Jedi and their weird like restrictions and you can't have relationships. Yeah. You can't have a wife. And the dude, dude just went to, to have his beautiful, you know, princess queen wife. And he, they, they couldn't have it. Um, it was a lot of, a lot of him and his rage is the response to that. And it's like a problem that the Jedi completely, uh, created on their own. So now we're sounding really geeky, but I love that this movie at least uh, really takes that all into account. In so I, I have yeah. many, many thoughts, and, and I want to hear your guys' reaction to it, okay? And uh, I, I've read these very interesting Twitter threads this week that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you guys. They're not very long. Um, but when I left the theater with my fiancé, she felt in some ways betrayed by this movie. You know, and I would say she's squarely in the uh, the category two of of hardcore Star Wars fans that, um, well, and also number three. You know, like that just she she didn't she didn't think the movie was particularly well put together, but she also just felt like it was a betrayal of of everything that that Star Wars has has been building up to, and uh, and I, I was kind of taken aback by that that feeling because you know obviously I did not experience it when I first saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me let me read these threads and then let's go from there, okay? Because uh, I'm gonna say some things that all three of you will find objectionable, and then we can <laughs> hopefully come to a place of agreement from there. So Joseph Kahn this week, the uh, uh, director of films such as Torque and Bodied, and he's also directed uh, some of Taylor Swift's newest music videos. He tweeted out the following in response to the Last Jedi. He said, "Quote." Ray doesn't need to be trained. She's already a lightsaber and telekinesis master just because she wants to be. She's the millennial Jedi. Luke failed every lightsaber fight. Ass kicked in Empire. <laughs> hand shot in the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Emperor bodied him until his dad stepped in. Luke blew up the Death Star, but Han Solo shot everyone. So unlike the other dead rebels, Luke had a clear line of sight. And even then, <laughs> Obi-Wan coached him with Force GPS. If Rey did the Death Star run, she would have blown away every TIE fighter herself, told Obi-Wan to shut the fuck up, launched missiles while lightsabering Vader's hands off, and resurrected five porgs using the Force. Rey and Luke <laughs> can be considered equal in success if struggle and effort are negated from the equation. Just results. They both win, and that's all that matters to modern audiences, I guess. The theme of the original trilogy is, I want a greater life and I need to believe in myself. The theme of the new trilogy is, I'm awesome, confirmed, end quote. So that's that's one uh, interpretation of the movie. Here is another one that's somewhat similar. This is from Sean Elliott, who is one of my uh, podcast inspirations. Uh, and Sean Elliott here writes uh, on Twitter, quote, Aside from the fact that Yoda, Snokes, Obi-Wan, Palpatine, etc. are not part of a dynastic bloodline that began with the son of a slave, aside from the part where the movie concludes with another Skywalker on the galactic throne, The Last Jedi's alleged middle finger at the Skywalkers ultimately amounts to this message. Only the one in a trillion force savant blessed at birth inherits the star spot. It's still the myth of the genius fetishized, end quote. And I thought that was an interesting interpretation because it kind of asserts that the power structure that's been established in the previous film has been toppled and replaced, but only by another power structure. Uh, I don't think that one way to read the film, we won't know this until we see the next movie. You know, maybe the next movie 
everyone all around the place, you know, millions <laughs> of people are going to be like ultra force users like Ray. Maybe that's going to happen. But one legitimate way of reading this film, I think, is that uh, Ray is so ridiculously powerful, right? Like she uh, uh, presumably has not trained in the ways of the force and lightsabering and piloting or whatever as much as uh, Kylo Ren has. Uh, and is still able to completely annihilate him. Uh, that, and there's nothing like inherently wrong with a character that's like that. But if that's the case, then that means, yeah, only a one in a trillion force savant, like only someone who is ridiculously good can be a part of the story. You know, Adam Driver says in this movie, or Kylo Ren says, you're not part of the story. You know, you, your, your parents are nothing. You're not part of the story. And Ray goes to prove him wrong. Yeah, she only goes to prove him wrong because she's ridiculously good at all this stuff, of which only one, you know, in a billion people are going to be. Um, so, Lindsay, let me start with you, because the Ray storyline really <laughs> resonates. Sorry, do you hear me? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, like, um, you're like seething with rage right now. Um, yeah. So what do, you, what do you make of that interpretation? First of all, going back to that first thread, that actually made me like physically angry um, <laughs> because Ray and Luke come from very different perspectives when they're entering this. Ray is a woman who has lived by herself since what she was eight years old on a planet where she's been forced to protect herself. If anything, if you want to make a real world kind of allusion to that, how many women are coming forward with all of these stories of having to sort of overcome instances where they're, you know, subjected to horrificness, you know, uh, Ray has lived on her own forever and has had to defend herself. And the force awakens in that opening, when you see her for the first time without dialogue, you see all of the ways that she's proficient in taking care of herself because she's had to be her whole life. Whereas Luke was raised by in comfort. He was raised by an aunt and uncle who loved him. He wasn't an orphan. I mean, he was an orphan, but he wasn't, you know, without family or without mm -hmm. safety, Ray was completely opposite. She was completely by herself. So when people try to act like, oh, she's just this perfect person, it's like, <laughs> try being a woman in this world, please. First <laughs> it was of all. a little hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then also being completely alone, like not cared for in any way and having to navigate that when all of these different systems are against you just being alive in this world. So I think that's part of what I take issue with when people talk about Ray being a Mary Sue or whatever, as that kind of insinuates that she's just this privileged millennial. It's like Luke was the privileged. <laughs> if you really want to go for it, he was the one who had family name. He had the protection He's the one who kind of had all of this safeguard. Yeah. And to act like he didn't, even if he wasn't great at lightsabers, the very first time he ever trains in a lightsaber with Obi-Wan, the second time he ever picks up a lightsaber with his eyes blindfolded, he's able to perfectly navigate that thing, you know, yeah. the testing thing. Yeah, I, I, let me like, just be clear. Like, I, I think uh, I agree with uh, Daisy Ridley that the term Mary Sue is incredibly sexist and, and mm -hmm. is not a term totally. I, I would use. Um, I, you know, she put it very well. She she said, you know, do we say of you know male characters that are really powerful that they're like Ryan Craig's or whatever? I think she's just using a random <laughs> male name. You know that, that it's it's a ridiculous term. I, I don't agree with it, but I do think um, it is great to hear your perspective. That like from your perspective, uh, she trained at the school of hard knocks. You know, Jakku is like a brutal, yeah. unforgiving location, and she had to like raise herself in it, and and so there is some credibility to the idea that mm -hmm. uh that she would be good at 
uh, survival, you know, um, through yeah. the, the and skills we see she built it. up. Right? That's, that's the thing, too, that's always bothered me, is that you literally see her fight off people trying mm-hmm. to rob her. You see the reason she's good at piloting is because she spends all day, you know, scavenging ships for parts. Obviously, that would acquaint you with how these things work, you know, and has been doing that for at least a decade, probably more. So I just, I think it shows you all of the stuff you need to know about her. And then also when she fights Kylo Ren, he's just been shot with a bow staff in the arm and just killed his dad. I don't yeah. think that he's at <laughs> full, you know, and it shows, it literally shows him bleeding and punching himself. Like, I just have never understood that argument. And he also fought off Finn for a part of the fight too. Like that, that yeah. fight took a lot of things to take him down. She never, I, and she's yeah, bad. we never see her you, go toe to toe with him. Yeah. If you watch that scene, she's jabbing him and running away for most yeah. of it. She only really bests him at the very end once mm-hmm. she kind of connects with the force whatever but mm. so i i do think that it would be it would be strong cinematically to have some training for her in the context of the films i i i do think that, yeah. th- that those would not be scenes that would make any of the movies worse no, but no. i will say this and this may be a weird analogy. And, and to be clear, like, there there is some training in this movie. You know, but, I feel like she does as much training as Luke does. By the way, yeah, like, uh, there's, she, she is see. swinging the lightsaber yeah. on the rocks on the side of the mountain. So, so yeah, it's not like Dig- there's no which, training. But anyways, I think by the way, Dagobah is kind of a, a, a training montage. It's exactly. It's, 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 there there wasn't yeah. really a big montage in this movie. You yeah. know, maybe all these problems could be solved with a montage. But anyway, Jeff, you need a montage. Yeah, that's right. Let me just make this weird analogy and then maybe this is only applicable to me because it's in my particular <laughs> Venn diagram of interests, but there are a lot of, of people, very smart people. There are copious volumes written about the fact that this dude named William Shakespeare could not have possibly written the works that we know as Shakespeare. He's no way he could have written it because he's just some guy. <laughs> There's nothing special about him. There's yeah. no way it had to have been Lord Byron or somebody that had this noble birth and was around books and and uh, was trained by the world's greatest scholars. And ha- there was no way it could have been just some dude that lived lived in Stratford upon Avon and just raised a, a family and worked out a living in the theater. Like there's no way that that person could have genius in them of this magnitude. How is that? But guess what? That's the way this shit works in, in, the, in the history of time. The dude who has the trust fund and all of the learning around them doesn't do anything because they don't have to. The the except the, become president sometimes, but yes, the, the, the uh. royal the royal birth kid is it, it has no there's there's no nothing to gain by writing the works yeah. of Shakespeare. Very little drive there. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so yes, I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to write me emails. They're going to say there's this <laughs> example and this example of of you know these blessed kids that are also created something great. But the vast majority of the great works of the of human creativity and daring and uh, science, everything, everything that we have done as a, as a species that is important. The vast majority of it has been done by nobodies. Okay. So uh, I'm convinced you guys, you guys have convinced me. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on past the first point of like, is Ray overpowered or, you know, uh, how, how did she come to be in the position she's in? 
I, I don't even really have an issue with that part. Yeah. Um, uh, but I am bringing it up because I, I know people have that complaint. Okay, but can I second... say one more thing? Yep, go because ahead. Because Joseph Kahn's analogies actually works really well. Uh, because if Ray is the millennial hero, then Luke is the baby boomer hero who is assisted <laughs> by all his friends and the infrastructure and the support. And hey, he blew up the Death Star. And Ray has to work on her own for everything. And she has all this emotional debt that she'll never pay off. Mm. Yep. So and she has yeah. she has the force VoIP that she uses. Yep. yep. She has force force time. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys make of the second point though, the one by Sean Elliott, which is that uh you know, Jeff, if 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 you were making a movie about how English uh like poetry and writing and the power of English is for everyone, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily choose William Shakespeare, a one in a trillion person, to make that point. Right, because William Shakespeare is kind of an edge case. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, if this movie is supposed to show the democratizing power of the force, I don't know that you would, you would almost you would almost I don't know have other characters that do things in the movie. <laughs> it, would, it would be almost as if you would not make the movie only about Ray. There would be other characters that contribute to the success and feel. In fact, maybe you would make the movie explicitly say that it takes a lot of people to do a thing and we are the spark that lights the <laughs> resistance fire like that will burn the, the first literally order down say <laughs> literally say we can't have a jedi save us we actually have to do so i don't know maybe that's what you the tact you would take if you were actually making <laughs> yeah. a movie about it read the text that sounds pretty yeah. outlandish chef <laughs> so, so I think uh, what you guys are saying in response to these uh, arguments is that, you know, a it's not super hard to believe that Ray would be a one in a trillion force savant. Uh, the, shit like that just happens. And also, b uh, the movie is not saying that that's that by itself is enough, right? That right. that right. Uh, yes. that that yeah. in order for humanity or society to succeed. Uh, just relying on the saviors like Luke, like Ray, uh, is not enough. Right? The thing she that I knows love that, yeah, yes. that's why she steals the books. She knows that she isn't going to be alone in all of this, and that the Force isn't just hers, which is what Luke tells her. You know, it's not just one person's or one order's; it's everyone's. So, yeah, this is what you brought up last week, Dave. I think you were the one that brought it up when we were talking last week about so much of what this movie has to say about being a hero. And in the second viewing, after I'd heard you bring that up, it really drove home that point that, and it's so much of what I love structurally about this movie is it, people talk about all the, uh, Finn, uh, Rose storyline being pointless and all the, all the things that don't work. And I love the fact that almost every plan that the rebellion or the resistance, attempts to do fails. They try and they fail and they try and they fail. And then there's a thing you didn't expect to see coming and that fails. And then you get to the point where you're like, Oh my God, how the hell are they going to get out of this one? And then they fail again. And you're like, well now, now it's, it's completely bleak and ruined and we can't do anything. And the hero comes in at the last minute and he's just a distraction. He's literally just a yeah. distraction. He's not going to save them. He literally says, I can't face down the whole army on my own. So, and that, that isn't even the way it's, it, 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 it turns out it's not about a hero coming in to save us. It's about every one of us has a responsibility to stand up and be part of something. It's, 
the fact that we cumulatively together are stronger than any one, even the most powerful Jedi by themselves. And that's what this movie is saying. That's That's Yeah. I was just going to bounce off that and say, that's actually what I'm most interested to see in episode nine, because as there, as we get that sort of thesis statement from Yoda, you know, the greatest teacher failure is how do they go forward from all of these failures? I think Mm -hmm. that will be the most interesting thing because I think what you're saying a lot of people are calling that a structural flaw that all of these things are pointless. I don't think they are pointless if they are if they yeah. learn something from all of this in, and in the, that, in the mean, next one. That's a clear message in the film. It's hammered in many mm-hmm. times, but also throughout these movies, right? We've dealt with failure in general. Empire right? is all about failure also. Empire is <laughs> so, all about yeah. failure. The Anakin turning into Darth Vader is a failed moment by the Jedi. Like it is I like how this movie tries to reconcile all of that. Um, and that's also partially why I like, uh, like the Yoda scene is great because it just burns down everything you thought was holy. Um, but also because the Jedi have always been about failure. Like they, they sat there while like, you know, the emperor took over the galactic, fe- what government, right. And they, mm-hmm. they had no clue. And the greatest, like he took over the greatest power that they had and they were completely clueless to all of that. So where do we go from failure? Hey, that's going to be a really interesting concept for the next movie. And failure is the greatest teacher. I mean, like, yep. like, yep. like you said, it's it, that is an explicit line that Yoda says. Literally, yep. the best teacher you have is failure. And and I think that's something that movies don't say, and but yeah. it's true. And it's a beautiful mm-hmm. sentiment. And to put that in a movie like this, it, I, I don't know. That's why this. I, movie, I don't know if I like, agree with you that me. movies don't say that, Jeff. I mean, the one of the taglines of Batman was "Why do we fall down?" You know, I mean, it's not like a, a completely new concept. I'm just gonna. Well, I, I, I think, think it's, it's one thing to say new. it, and it's another to understand it and to sell it and make it the core. Right. Piece, like it, core it is rare. You know, the, this movie pauses. Hey, we've seen the rebellion succeeded again and again. What if that didn't happen? You know, and right. yeah. and I like that uh, this movie <laughs> explores that. Okay, so uh, I think you know you guys have. Uh, argued convincingly against those points about Ray and and you know whether uh, what the movie's trying to say. I, I do think that um, I don't know that everyone came away with all the stuff that you guys yes. uh, said. You know, because I, I, I yeah. think that you know there is a big argument in like the slash film slack about like what is the message that this movie's trying to say about failure and about you know leadership and so on. And um, and so I I do think that the message. Uh, is either muddled in terms of its telling or that people didn't grasp what the movie, you know, that there is some some significant mm-hmm. portion of audience that just didn't even grasp what the movie is trying to say. There, there's um, a lot going on in this movie and it yeah, goes on yeah. for a while and it gives you a lot of left turns. So like, that's why I was saying, like even watching it a second time, like there are things I started to notice a little more because I wasn't as concerned with just following that main plot line or just knowing what happens next. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of an important thing. Like we, we brought up uh, Kurosawa uh, when we were describing it, like what this film feels like. And to me, that's that's kind of the idea I'm getting from this, right? I'm, I'm feeling Hidden Fortress, and I'm feeling Seven Samurai uh, of these characters who, I, I don't know, are not always successes and aren't always heroes, but they do their damnedest to do it. And we see that reflected, too, in the style of the film. Uh, I love the Luke, the Luke showdown at the very end. There's that one shot where it's just like the camera's behind him and the entire you know, for uh, the entire, all the bad guys are right in front of him. It looks like some sort of crazy 
samurai action shot. So I kind of I just love that too. It all kind of goes through. I want to bring up a few nerd follow-ups to yes. uh, the movie. Okay, so first of all, there's a few things that we said on the last episode that uh, we should kind of correct. Uh, Peter Serrata brought up all these nitpicks that have since been addressed. Like, for instance, uh, why do the bombs drop in the opening uh, scene of the yeah. film if there's no gravity? How, in how space? is that an issue? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you go to Star Wars expecting scientific <laughs> rigor, you're you're looking yeah. in the wrong place. Um, space but there, fantasy. <laughs> there is a visual. There is like a visual dictionary or some visual guide to the movie that you can apparently buy. And in the uh, in that guide, it shows the bombers, and it says, "quote." Bombs don't technically drop in microgravity, but are impelled from their racks by sequenced electromagnetic plates in the clip. The bombs are then drawn magnetically to their unfortunate targets, end quote. So, oh my God. Well, um, I think it's a, I heard a simpler explanation. Somebody said that something the size of the dreadnought, the dreadnought has its own gravity its own field. Gravity. Yeah. Yeah. And then once, it's, once those bombs are drawn, they would continue moving in the direction that they're going until – another force acted upon them. Right. Or, so, or that there is gra- like, obviously there's gravity on the ship because, right. you know, she people kicks walking that, around. Yeah. She kicks that, yeah. uh, you know, trigger detonator downstairs. So, right. uh, they, maybe they're just sent out into space by the gravity from the ship, yeah. you know? So it's not like many- we're watching a movie about space magic or anything. Yeah. Weird, weird <laughs> nitpick in my opinion, but yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, Peter on last week's episode said that, uh, he, I don't remember what he said, but, I had said that Ray brought the books on board the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, he Falcon. said Luke brought them He said Luke on. brought yes, them, but that's wrong. Yeah. It's actually Ray. Right. So I was right, but I didn't want to contradict him because Peter knows so much more about Star Wars than me. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, it was Ray that brought the books on. I mean, that is the explanation. It's impossible that Luke would have done it because he's on the ship earlier in the movie than yeah. it would have happened. So, on yeah. on that note, uh, I did think it was a little odd that the movie makes uh, this – Huge deal out of these dice that Luke gives Leia, but unless you're a hardcore fan, you you probably don't know what those dice are, right? Um, they're in Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah they're I mean, a big part of Force Awakens, right? He yeah. like a big moment he happens. Hangs them and it like plays oh, yeah, music. Oh yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, fair them. enough. Uh, yeah. But the uh, according to Pablo Hidalgo, um, the 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 story is that those dice were involved in a, a game of Corellian Spike. Uh, yeah. A dice-using version of a card game called Sabacc. Rumor has it that Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon from Lando Calrissian with those dice. Uh, whether or not that's just Bartok, I can't say, he says. This is, a, this is a, one of the people entrusted with Star Wars lore. Uh, the Lucasfilm Story Group creative executive, Pablo Hidalgo. So, uh, just it's an to Easter egg for the Han Solo movie, probably. That's right. That's probably. right. I, I have a yeah, feeling we're going to see those dice in that Solo movie. Well, yeah, interestingly, yeah. Uh, people have pointed out that Rogue One yeah. sources yes. the uh, tracking so cool. technology, Man. which is super yeah. neat. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in Rogue One, when they're going – like at the end of Rogue One, there's that whole bank of data tapes. And one of the data tapes is about light, uh, light speed tracking or hyperspace tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they didn't get the technology right for another 30 years, but yeah. still. It's a long-term project. Long-term you know? project. Long-term. They, they think ahead. Put, you people. put all your money into R&D, and eventually it pays off. But guys, <laughs> the one thing that I need to talk about, and Devendra, you know, you know what this is about, the Holdo uh, maneuver. The Holdo so maneuver. here's the thing, guys. If you have... If you introduce the concept of a ridiculously powerful weapon into your world, uh, it does potentially not not necessarily it potentially has universe breaking implications. 
Uh, and there is a great article that I would – is one of my favorite articles that I've read about Last Jedi over at TheRinger.com written by Ben Lindbergh. Uh, it's entitled, The Most Breathtaking Moment in The Last Jedi is Also Its Greatest Threat to Star Wars Lore. And he's talking about the moment in the movie when Vice Admiral Holdo, played by Laura Dern, uh, turns her ship towards the uh, Snoke's ship and the Star Destroyers, travels into, uh, into light speed, and completely ruins those ships. Uh, it's the moment we talked about earlier when the screen goes silent for 10 seconds. Uh, I, I, so I had to actually leave the movie to go to work early um, when I saw The Last Jedi a second time. Uh, I had to leave the movie early, I should say, to go to work uh, at around 9 a.m. because I saw the 7 a.m. screening. Uh, but I basically stayed until that moment in the movie and then just left. Like that was – I wanted <laughs> that, to see that moment again because it's That such... moment is is a crescendo that – because it's not just that moment. It's three things all happening at the exact same time a la yeah. Return of the Jedi. Um with uh, you know uh, Finn and Rose about to be beheaded, I guess right. so we're supposed to think they're going to be <laughs> beheaded, um, and uh, and Ray and Kylo uh, with Snoke, and that turned like the tension. I find that to be masterful filmmaking, and all of it crescendos into Holdo's maneuver in silence, which I just think is an incredible moment in cinema. But I do, I will say, my one tiny criticism of that which I think is nearly flawless sequence is I really wish we saw the moment from Finn and Rose's perspective when their ship gets torn asunder. Cause we kind of just come yeah. back to it's them. It's a very weird editing decision. Like, cause, cause they're about to get beheaded. And then next scene, the ship is in shambles right. uh, and somehow Phasma and all her people are, you know, five hundred. The yeah. They're like yeah. a football field away from them. It's but a very bizarre that, moment in the movie. Yeah. If we had seen – I mean we, we understand that that's what happened because we yeah. saw this one ship fly into their ship. But if we had seen that even in slow motion or in silence itself or whatever, like that rift appear in their universe, I think it would have been so powerful. And I'm surprised it wasn't included. Well, the, the, the thrust of this article is that uh, the idea that a ship going into light speed could cause catastrophic destruction to a fleet. If, if you just turned it into the fleet, uh, it, it kind of makes you wonder, well, why didn't they just do that all the time, you know, in, in previous episodes? Like, th there's a bunch of force powers. Because that it's super expensive to make a, a spaceship, and you don't no, just... No, like, I, I don't buy any of that. I mean, I think... So what this article it, tries to like do... It's not like little, little planes flying. In. It's a gigantic <laughs> Corellian-class ship, right? Yeah, but yeah. but it, it, this one ship took down like six ships. It just feels like so. The, what this article tries to explore is why wouldn't they have done that many times before? You know, it, it tries. Why to, don't we drive our battleships into other battleships? Yeah, I was gonna say. I think aren't we always supposed to believe that the resistance well, and the rebellion are kind of these scrappy little teams trying to come up against this great brute force so they don't want to risk their only ship, their only big ship in these moments right i mean here's where i strongly disagree with you guys i mean i think the uh the roi on the holdo maneuver is incredibly high it's like six thousand percent you know it's this one tiny ship was able to annihilate or like tear you know like six what appears to be six star destroyers and something like even bigger than a star destroyer in half and so the idea that you have this incredibly overpowered maneuver uh, does raise the question, like, why wouldn't they do that 
in the past. I mean, and, maybe maybe we don't know, right? This is a universe where it's the civilization has existed for thousands of years. His, a lot of things have been lost. And right, right. So, so here, well, here's some yeah. here's some explanations yeah. that the that the article mm-hmm. comes up with, and I want to see if any of them resonate with you. The one explanation is that actually the whole maneuver didn't cause the ships to split apart. <laughs> that the reason the ships split apart is uh, the uh, Kylo Ren Ray showdown, like tearing apart that lightsaber. That doesn't really make any sense because everyone oh, no. is really yeah. freaked yeah. out about the ship about to split apart. So it seems to imply <laughs> right. that they like the people think that going light speed yeah. into a ship is going to destroy you. Read, read um, the room. Here, here's another thing. Um, the other alternative, Ben writes, what Holdo did is a war crime. Perhaps hyperspace <laughs> ramming is so horrifically effective that it's been banned by the Yavin Convention. What we thought was heroic was actually the equivalent of a chemical weapons attack. That's the best I can do. So I tweeted this article out, and um, some people actually brought up another uh, really good possibility, which is that basically the conditions under which she executed the attack mm-hmm. were very specific. Like she had, You had to be yeah. so close uh, to the ships, right, that, that – um, most ships aren't able to achieve that level of closeness and that level of aim, and, or, or that maybe she kind of brought herself out of light speed at the exact right point to like. kind of yeah. rip those ships apart. So uh, I have another one. Please, please. So, you know, before, I guess the only other ships that we've seen that they would have tried to do that into really is like the Death Star, which I don't, I think a Star Destroyer is way smaller. So I don't think mm-hmm. right. shooting it in would be effective. And also, this ship is the one that has the tracker on them. So is it effective to just ram your ships into star destroyers all the time? No, but if it's one that's actually going to track you and like discover you and the one that, you know, that the emperor, the Supreme leader is on, (laughs) I feel like that's a more useful time to destroy one of your ships than just like randomly like, Oh, here's a star destroyer. Let's ram this in there. So it it is the hail Maryest of hail Mary. Yeah. It's the actual, they know it's the big bad ship. And the more I think about it, right. I mean, any of those explanations I think could have worked and it actually makes Mm -hmm. sense to me that they would not explain that, you know, like it would have felt really weird for them to say, uh, what is she doing? That's a war crime. You know, that just would have been, or, you know, you can only pull this off if you're in the ship and it's super close. You know, like it just, there's also, no way to evacuate it. It's, she's the only person yeah. on it. Other times yeah. it would mean killing half your fleet or whatever. So which, I think that's which brings up another potential plot point, by the way, or a plot hole. This is a universe where we have uh, what uh hyperspace travel. We have all this stuff. We don't have like remote control. Well, that, that's the, what I'm saying. Is you could, it yeah. seems yeah, like is... it doesn't seem like a very challenging yeah. move to make, and it seems like you could program a machine to do it. So, if that's mm-hmm. the case, wouldn't it be yeah. really powerful? You know, so well, so you know I know. Yeah, you know yeah. how I know that adding a line like that wouldn't have helped anything <laughs> because they literally added a line like that to explain why we haven't seen anyone astral project before, and it didn't help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what, what was that? What was the line, Jeff? The line where Kylo, Kylo says, uh, "I know you're not you're not doing this. It would it would kill you." Mm, to mm. to uh, to Ray, which is literally there to say, "How come we haven't seen Jedi's just force project all over the place?" Because right. it literally kills Luke. Yeah. So I, again, I have no problem with that. You know, some some people were saying uh, that this movie introduces a lot of force powers, and people are complaining mm-hmm. like we've never seen anyone ask to project, and <laughs> that they've compared. I saw a tweet comparing that to saying, you know, the first time you saw. The Emperor shoot electricity out of his hands in yeah. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It would be like, so like, like oh yeah. wow, like it's a it's it's breaking the world because the 
electricity is coming out. That's never happened before. I, I I don't care about any of that. Like I agree with you that <laughs> yeah. it's fine for the movie to introduce new powers and concepts. Like that's totally fine. But um, but anyway, I did think the Holdo maneuver is like, more... really interesting kind of thing to ponder. Anyway. I have one more thing to add to the Holdo thing too, and I could be wrong. I know I've seen it four times, so I should shouldn't be wrong. But <laughs> if I recall correctly, that's a last ditch effort. I don't think that was part of the plan, right? Like she right. was left behind yeah. to hold it, and once they started bombing all of the transports, that's when she was like, "Shit, I have to do something." So that's she probably was, why they didn't autopilot to, it. Yeah, right? she was going to die with the ship, I think. In order right, to, but to not provide a screen for them to no. leave. Yeah. Well, that's right, actually that's actually an argument. That's actually an argument for it being a bigger plot hole, I think, it, because the fact that someone could do something that destructive, like at the last second, feels like um, you know we would have seen it or heard about it before. Uh, but uh, again, maybe nobody ever tried it before. Maybe no one knew what would happen if you came out of light speed. <laughs> they just, they just, yeah, yeah. Is, that, that's an, actually that's another really great possibility, Jeff. Is that maybe they just like let's never do it. it's like matter occupying the same space at the same time, right? <laughs> Across like, the streams. <laughs> was it even that destructive if like it didn't actually kill anybody important? In the <laughs> true, enough, true enough. It was Lindsay. more also a distraction. Like they could all just get off of it anyway. So true enough. One of Lindsay, my, true enough. I would say the the maybe the criticism that provides me the most angst and frustration when I hear people say it is why didn't Holdo just tell Poe the plan? Same. That's been that my big one. That makes me so angry. And it is, I think, uh, a case of Well, I think, think Devendra actually raised this last week, I, right? I brought that up. So <laughs> yeah. Devendra is yeah. one of those people, Jeff. <laughs> I think uh, – well, I don't now – I, now I feel bad because I forgot the <laughs> yes. I said that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think that's one of those Category 2s – Thinking they're a category two and there may be a category one, um, maybe not in Defender's case. Uh, but uh, it, it is literally a person who just got demoted. Yes. Who who we watch look at Holdo and go, "Wow, that wasn't what I expected. That was the the big commander in the the battle, <laughs> right, that right. great battle. That oh man, that's he, not he's what a I expected. Sexist jerk for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we're yes. supposed to go in in what military universe does a guy who just got demoted running up and demanding anything of his, not just his superior officer, the commander of the fleet earn an explanation in what universe does the military work that way? Well, I, like, I, agree I, with also, you, Jeff. I just think it would have yeah. been nice if she had told him that there was a plan, you know, a she plan. wouldn't, she wouldn't need to tell him what the plan was. Fuck that guy. You think, <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I think he just basically demeaned her in every possible way by saying, like, I'm smarter than you because I'm a that, man. That and is she's like, a, like, fuck off. The yeah. Colonel, the colonel walking through the trenches in World War II and the private going, Colonel, what are we doing here? Fuck you. I'm yeah. a colonel. So, yeah, because also, to go, you guys said this last week, but to go back to that, as far as they know, the only person that knows that there's that tracking device tech is rose and finn and poe yep. uh as far as they know there's a traitor on board so why the hell would she tell poe that they're, right. you know this what their true. plan is these are yeah. all these are all good things i do feel like the way this entire plan went down because it seemed like we have no plan we are just running like there was no you don't have to tell poe that there's anything like i i, I just wonder like if she communicated to anyone that's the thing I like i understand yeah, poe is I like a that. sexist asshole there in terms of military structure, yes, I understand. That's probably the way it would go down. In terms of like 
actually, you know, running a team or something or like, you know, running a band of rebels where this is the last ditch. You, you're a handful of people in this like Battlestar Galactica nightmare of a scenario. You know, this is like 33 right. from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, just a little bit of like, hey, don't we got this or like, the, you know, there there's something I don't know. There's She's more. Right. I feel like it could have been communicated also, just in terms of it being a movie, too, this is kind of where I come to some of it, too, is, like, they want to save that surprise of her being, like, I'm sure, I'm sure. And well, I don't I know that that defies, you know, I don't know that that means that you should be illogical or whatever, but yeah. I think that happens in movies more, so often. It's <laughs> contrived. It's way That's, more than that. It is the movie making yeah. a very specific point, which is reinforced by that moment where uh, where Poe and Finn are talking about the plan and roses in the back, and we literally see Finn yeah. step in front of her to answer yeah. the yeah. question. Like that is a very specific point this movie is making, which is fuck you, Poe. No, I, I think you're conflating a couple of things here, Jeff, though. What I'm talking about, yes, the movie addresses all these issues of like, you know, sexism and like how guys try to take credit for what women come up with and things like that. Um, specifically here, I just feel like it is contrived. This is a situation where information just isn't revealed until a convenient time. No, no, and that's he really sat it. there. Dude, this movie is saying a very specific thing. He sat there, and we see that woman who I don't even know her name, but she says, uh, uh, "Leia, General yes. Organa is down. We have to, we have to promote somebody to the commanding officer." And Poe is like, "Here I go. It's my time to be awesome." <laughs> and they go, and it's Holdo, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And she walks out, and then he's like. That is that's the amazing Holdo. That can't be right. Yeah, this movie is saying a She's very dress. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and literally every moment after that, he assumes he should know and he should be making the decision. And he like this movie is saying a very specific thing, and I think it's it's not contrived because it's thematic. That okay. that's the theme of the movie. I, I, I will, like, so I will yeah. grant you that. I'll grant you that, Jeff. I mean, I know Devendra may, may not, but I'll grant you that. But but here's what really felt weird to me the second time seeing it is uh, we see uh, Poe Dameron mutiny pull a gun on Holdo. Yep. Uh, and then the next scene, he's in a stretcher, and then Holdo says, uh, or, "I love that guy." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, <laughs> Leia says, he's a troublemaker, and Holdo says, "Yeah, I like him." I was like, "Did, <laughs> did I miss a reel of this film? Was there was there something <laughs> that happened that endeared this guy to Holdo in some way? Because all he's ever done is literally threaten her life and demean her." Yeah, I feel uh, like they cut several scenes between I can them say, or something. Yeah, I don't want to play the like I'm a woman card, but please, I can please. say I've I've. I can relate to that feeling where you can see that there's passion sometimes in guys undermining you to the point where you're like, I know he doesn't mean (laughs) that I am bad. I think his heart is in the right place. He's just being an asshole and I'm not going to give him the credit. Hopefully Uh, every time I've interrupted you tonight, you felt that. (laughs) It's it's a common, I think it's a common feeling, which is like, it doesn't mean I hate you. And I think that's something that comes up a lot when people are like women hate men or whatever, or feminists hate men. I think it's, it's not that it's that sometimes it's like, you've just got to let me do what I need to do. It doesn't mean I dislike you. So I think she senses that he, his heart is in the right place and she knows he's a good person. Mm -hmm. He's just bugging the shit out of her. (laughs) So that's kind of what I got out of it. I agree that there's some kind of stuff there. The other thing I'm left wondering is maybe Leia laid some plan out that if this happens, she was trying to respect Leia, I think, in that, and that Leia had just demoted him. I I don't know. I think that there's a little more to it that way, just between the two of them. That's kind of how I read it. 
Well, but before like all that happened too, I think they said one of the things Leia was saying was like they had to find a base that's powerful enough for them to like send out distress. Yeah. And we knew that was like the ultimate mission. I feel like they could have filled in some some little blank there to give us an indication that that was something we were leading to. Otherwise, it just felt like for the longest time, it did feel like Holdo just had them on a suicide mission of just running away with no real plan. To kind of bounce off of this, this is semi-related, um, but my biggest like complaint about the movie is that randomly, just halfway through, they start calling themselves the Rebels. Instead of the- <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, it's kind of hilarious that we've been using Rebels and Empire yeah. and for- First Order and Emperor and Snoke like uh, yeah. like interchangeably. You know, there are, there is a right. lot of. Uh, but this movie uh, just gives right into it. Like when they're <laughs> flying away, she's like, Godspeed, Rebels, which also bothers me because Godspeed doesn't feel like something yeah. you say. At, le- at least Finn gets the Rebel scum, scum line, which is, I think, pretty well right. played. I, I'm not so sure we're, we're doing a great job of representing all of the viewpoints of people that hate this movie. Uh, there's yeah. a few that I'm, there's I'm, a doing, few... I'm doing my best, Jeff, but you keep <laughs> no, shutting I... me down. Well, <laughs> Your best just isn't good enough, Dave. Yeah, apparently. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, there yeah. are a few more points that I want to bring up that I have heard. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry. One of which, I think one of which fits in right here because we're kind of talking about it. But a, a lot of people, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't uh, agree with it. But a lot of people have expressed this notion that the plot is thin, like not much happens in this mm-hmm. movie, which – I don't understand. They think I've heard, oh, it just feels like an episode of television. And as Davinder brought up specifically an episode of Battlestar Galactica, the the pilot. Um, but I, I don't feel that way. But I'm wondering if it resonates for any of you guys that that literally it doesn't push the mm-hmm. the narrative forward enough. I mean, in a bit, because it's a really character focused movie is the thing, right? Like we are learning about Rose and Finn and they have like this whole adventure together and they have, I think the best meet cute in the entire star Wars franchise. Now that I look at all of this Um, and then it's Ray and Luke and Kylo, like it is all these characters kind of interacting um, and Poe learning a lesson. So at the end of the day, the overarching plot of what the rebels do, it feels pretty simple, right? They, they just run away for two and a half hours basically. Yeah, I get that. I I just feel like, it is it feels bigger to me because you're literally watching the good guys get decimated. Mm-hmm. You're watching again and again and again them going down to just a skeleton crew of a few stragglers. It is it is they go from being capable of taking down a dreadnought, you know, with having a sort of tete a tete equally well, maybe not equally, but hold their own in a big battle at the very beginning of the movie to just being completely almost at uh, wiped out. And I find that that progress, that progression of like, no, this is the one where, you know, it's, it's one thing in empire to watch our heroes get to their end, but this is literally like everyone on the good side is Mm -hmm. wiped out. Uh, and I, I don't know. I found that to be pretty important and impactful. Yeah, I mean, I think the argument against that, Jeff, is just that against your position is just that we started this movie with the uh, rebellion on the run, and now they're still on the run, and there's slightly less mm-hmm. of them. You know that. Sure. That, that, again, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I think that uh, I sympathize with that viewpoint that. 
people think that the end state was not necessarily that different than the beginning state. Um, that's but that's empire. That's the thing that's always bothered me, mm-hmm. or not always bothered me, but some of the arguments that I've seen against some of the stuff is that within Star Wars logic, there are so many other examples of the same thing happening. So to act like this is kind of betraying stuff that we've seen before is yeah. Oh no, I, I don't I'm think not it's even mad stuff. at it. Yeah, I don't think right. It's I'm just stuff. curious. Yeah. I'm curious where that that mindset or where that the people who are really angry about it, I'm just curious where that comes from with a lot of this. Um, and that's one of the things that surprised me the most. The same example I can think of is with the humor stuff. I've seen so much, you know, anger that the humor yeah. is really bad. And that's when I just don't really understand. <laughs> Cause like, that's not star Wars humor. And I'm like, but what are we considering Star Wars humor? In the prequels, yeah. there's literally a scene where Jar Jar gets punched in the balls by a droid. Like, is that Star Wars? Yeah. He, yeah. he does like the blue like thing with the like there's so much dumb shit in that movie. Leia talking is, about a walking carpet. Uh, that's well, I, also my other one that i keep using is leia saying would it help if i got out and pushed <laughs> like with the, right. the falcon like there's so much world breaking yeah. kind of humor in yeah. the texture of star wars movies that i just i don't get how anything here breaks that necessarily that's yeah. a great one that i've never heard anybody bring up before but that is a great one because i think people complain about that first scene where it's like i'm on i'm holding yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's yeah, like the concept of being on hold is something that wouldn't be in the Star Wars universe. You know what wouldn't be on the Star in the Star Wars universe? The concept of getting out of something and pushing it because it has wheels. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of stuff like that. Or I mean Han's joke about whatever the detention center one it feels pretty similar to what Poe is kind of saying. Also, Poe, I've seen some people say that scene drags in the beginning, but it's because he's stalling. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole thing of that, that scene that is, is that point. he's trying yeah. to fall. So here's something uh, yeah, that uh, I, I saw a very a very strong reaction to that many people have referred to the Leia reanimating scene as the worst scene in the film. I've seen that more than once. It's crazy. And, yeah. and um, you know, you know, upon second viewing, I think that uh, there there are many. I, I can see many ways why that scene would not work for people. And it, on a basic level. It just so – this uh, film has some amazing visual effects and some visual effects that are only okay to bad. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say the Leia effect is okay to bad. I would say like the lifting – Ray lifting the rocks at the end, uh, yeah, pretty bad. bad. You know, like yeah. there's, there's some stuff that's okay to bad. And so on a, on a pure visual level, I can understand why – it just doesn't work for people. And that's um, what I thought the argument was when I first heard it. I thought people were just mad that it looked kind of goofy, which mm-hmm. I can agree with. I, it kind of took me out of it a little bit. But some of the arguments are that just like that they don't think she could do that or that whatever. And that's yeah. something silly. Because we know how the force works, right? It's, it's yeah. written in stone. <laughs> I don't remember whether it looked bad or not because both times I saw it, I was watching it through tears. Yeah. So. Crying. yeah. It is. It's a little like Superman-y in a way that yeah. doesn't. Yeah, yeah, quite work. Yeah. Uh, to what you were saying, though, Jeff, like the plot thing, I think people tend to forget like how simple the plots of some of our favorite movies can be. Like just rewatching Blade Runner recently, like, uh, you know, yeah. Decker goes and talks to the guy. He talks to this other guy, <laughs> he chases these other people, and then we're done. Like, Deckard has almost no influence on the outcome yeah. of that film. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot more going on than just a yeah. plot. A guy just, was going to die, and then that guy died. <laughs> <laughs> and to go back to Empire, not to que- keep quoting that, but Empire, half that movie is them just running away in the yeah. asteroid field. Like, mm-hmm. there's not really a lot of 
plot to that, but that doesn't mean it's not good. There's good character stuff while they're running away, but yeah, plot wise, it's not super heavy. I, I loved that that scene with Leia coming back to life so yeah. much. Like it me it means so much to me, and I know it was it had added weight because we literally watched Carrie Fisher come back to life. I, I mean, I will. I I don't think that's. I don't know. I don't think that takes away from the movie, but I also don't give credit to the movie. I mean, that's a that's a complete other thing that I bring to it. But over and above that, I just I thought that moment was so powerful conceptually inside the Star Wars universe. Of here is someone that we know is Luke's twin sister, and you think is force sensitive, and we, we've only ever felt some inkling of that that she has this, and yet and in this moment, in her moment of absolute crisis, it sparks to life in a way that is far more powerful than we've ever seen the force use. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that she was dead and then was not dead. No, I think the, yeah, I, I don't know. yeah. I think the force, like, you know, in the same way that fucking, what's his name? Uh, star Lord, you know, is like, he's yeah. mostly dead. He's mostly dead. <laughs> Almost dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, John, in the, John in the chat room says, Ryan Johnson compared Leia's force power to those stories of humans lifting cars to save children, etc." Exactly. Yeah. I saw that. Too. I also, it needed that it needed that crisis for her to be that. Right. I also, my favorite tidbit about that scene that I read this week is that apparently it was Kathleen Kennedy asking him to add a moment where Leia uses the force. So it was a woman giving the direction, like, it'd be really cool if we saw a woman, (laughs) if we saw Leia, not just a woman, but an older woman get to use the force in a way that is usually saved for kind of these young, cool men or Luke Skywalker. So I thought that was kind of powerful. Is that also our first example of somebody actually being outside in space surviving outside in space right this is a series without so. spacesuits even though we spend yeah. most of our time in space and i always find yeah. that kind of fun i just i want to see a lightsaber fight in space at some do, point. Do that's all i want what my well, wasn't so, colin trevorrow gonna like shoot some stuff on the on the vomit comic actual in know. space yeah, yeah. Wasn't he? yeah so uh well we'll never see that unfortunately but we'll see what jj <laughs> does uh also you know someone um I was watching Red Letter Media's review of, of Last Jedi, and uh, they brought up the fact that uh, this is a movie. You know, this in a movie in a, in many ways, this movie subverts expectations. And honestly, I I love that about it. I love that. Me too. Fanboys are so pissed about because they've spent years crafting these <laughs> elaborate theories, and then Ryan Johnson's just like f that. Um, but, it's not that the theory was wrong; it's that the question was wrong, right? Or that yeah. maybe you shouldn't have spent all this time focusing on these theories. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> the question of why was like, you know, did the top fall down at the end of Inception or not? It's like that's not the right question to be asking, kind of thing. Yes, um, yes. And yeah. uh, so, what do you call it? Um, uh, so they were saying on this uh, review, their review of the Last Jedi, that. Uh, uh, like Ryan Johnson is in many ways trolling uh, people and, and doing away with things that previous films have done. One of the things they pointed out in this review was that you don't see a, a, a lightsaber touch another lightsaber in this film. Sure. Uh, that yeah. The prequels, it's like, I think in Attack of the Clones, it, you you literally see a hundred lightsabers on screen at one time. Which is why I love Attack of the Clones! <laughs> you see, lightsaber battle, like every movie ends with a massive lightsaber battle in that series. Actually, I think all three films end with massive lightsaber battles, right? Yes. And here's a movie yeah. where there is no lightsaber battle. Uh, and Although one of the best choreographed battles we've ever gotten. 
in a Star Wars yeah. movie. So yeah, I, loved, I, don't know. I, I, loved I take that. I take that film. for it. Yeah, but I, I wasn't saying that, Devinger. I wasn't saying that as a negative. You know, I was oh, yeah, saying yeah. I was. I think some people are upset about that decision as well as many I, other decisions. Honestly, I was a little disappointed that we didn't really get a lightsaber fight until later on. But that, for for me, that one big massive fight made up for that just just saying yeah i think having a lightsaber fight maybe not a lightsaber duel but a lightsaber fight that matters to these characters and matters for where they're at isn't that so much more rewarding than just like some empty badass moment where people fight i just that i don't get that you mean you mean you think that this moment you know in this movie with all these characters that we're invested in is better than like a hundred faceless jedi that we don't know battling it out in this big arena and attack of the that coliseum scene shockingly yes that coliseum scene is great what are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, 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 I didn't even notice. Here's how much I don't care that I didn't even notice <laughs> until afterwards that there wa- wasn't an actual lightsaber on lightsaber. And I think there's an implied lightsaber and lightsaber. Maybe it doesn't physically touch, but the Luke and Kylo thing. Yes. That's yes. one of the things I love so much is that there's a lightsaber duel without lightsabers touching. And that's fucking awesome. So I, love, I think that's, yeah. Part of the thing I love too about that scene is how they hold the lightsabers and how they stand because mm-hmm. it's not like anybody else the way that kylo stands or when he takes his lightsaber out and he like stamps his foot when he turns it on mm-hmm. and like he stands in this really awkward like hunched over leaning forward stance well, it's, it's that, very uh heavily inspired by samurai stances I yes, yeah. So yeah and that's a, like awesome. an overly aggressive stance like no defense in what he's right. doing he's just like there to tear shit up Oh, it's so badass, man. That scene is so badass. The choreography in that scene is so damn good. And then the underhanded moment for Ray, because we don't really see underhanded lightsaber stuff very often, too. So, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff with things going on there for people who really like fight choreography. All right, guys, I was actually talking. I was talking about not even that, but I was talking uh-huh. about the Luke, the Luke and Kylo yeah, thing. Luke, yes, yes, yes. Also, you know, not. I know that that's much shorter and different, but it's that's this more kind like of a Western metaf- showdown almost. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Well, guys, we're an hour and forty minutes in. I've tried my <laughs> my level best to represent, uh, you know, negative viewpoints in the film, and I've been shouted down at every opportunity. No, but it's it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I. I really have enjoyed hearing you guys uh, talk about the film and, and uh, appreciate you entertaining these complaints in a serious way. Mm-hmm. Um, I Are think... there any other Category 3 things, like maybe from your fiancé or any, anybody that you've heard? Uh, what she, category 3? What she said, one of the things she said was uh, that, you know, the, what she texted me was, uh, you know how some movies have third act problems? This movie I felt like was first and second act problems. You know, that um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think in terms of three act structure, the movie is really muddy. Like, I, I don't think it really has a very clean. It has, it's a five act. Stru- act yeah, movie. like you said, like five anything. act structure. Yeah. I think you brought that up, Divingra. Um but I think uh, you know I, I had a I did a Periscope with her at uh, Periscope.tv slash Dave Chensky, and we argued a little bit about the Ray and, and Luke scenes, right? And how, um, uh, you know, me, David Chen, I, I can imagine people thinking those scenes are really frustrating and unpleasant. Right. I mean, yeah. we yeah. usually see in scenes like that, you know, hey, I need you to come back for one last job, right? Uh, and no, I've given up that. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. And then two conversations later, they're going back for one last job. Um, this movie, it literally takes two hours for that character <laughs> to decide to come back for one last job. And um, for a significant part of that time, he's just completely stonewalling her. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't see him really engage with her in a 
meaningful way. He's just instead, you know, drinking green milk and, you know, gallivanting around, lugging around fish. It it, it does feel like, um, I think there's just confusion as to why are we watching him milking this thing when we could be watching him have an interesting dialogue with Ray about or explaining to Ray what's actually happening. And some people see that as a bold choice that, hey, uh, what if they went to the master and he said no and just didn't say anything, like refused to talk to you? Uh, that Some people see that as a bold choice. Other people see that mm-hmm. as just bad storytelling or really frustrating storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I can understand both viewpoints. So that's another, I've heard yeah. similar complaints too. Like it's, it's the difference between being maybe kind of annoyed that it's not the movie you want it to be rather than seeing what the movie is and trying to deconstruct what it's doing like it is i've heard from a lot of people who consider themselves star wars fans who are annoyed that it drops a lot of plot threads from uh, force awakens um i've heard people not truly satisfied with ray's arc which i think i i just don't know how to parse that one but there's i think in some sense in category three like a greater sense that it's not the movie they want it to be therefore it's a bad movie which i know i feel like that's a dangerous I, uh, way to well, watch let, anything. let me just say i yeah. don't agree that what I said amounts to what you just said. Like, I don't, I don't no, think I that I'm not I, saying that. Yeah, okay. I'm saying what okay. I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got I, I think that if we were watching a movie that wasn't a Star Wars film, that had two hours of this person going to uh, a master and trying to convince him to come join the battle, and the master spent a significant part of the time literally just saying nothing, um, mm-hmm. that some people might find that frustrating. And I, and I can understand that. Um, but uh, another point. So let's talk about Ray's arc real quick. I mean, I, we're, we could spend another two hours talking about this movie, so I, I do want to respect <laughs> yeah. everyone's time. Um, but uh, Ray's arc, real quick, I mean, I think, like, one thing people have said that, like, they don't find it interesting is that she never really deviates from uh, being a good person. You know, that I, I, I never got the sense that she was tempted by the dark side in the way that mm-hmm. I felt like Luke was tempted in the original trilogy. But tell me, like, please tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm like, I think, if you did feel that I, way, you know, like, yeah. I did. I did feel that way. Personally, there's that scene where she literally almost strikes him down with a lightsaber and yep. they fight. And yep. she he had that's when he first uses the force again, which I noticed on my second rewatch is he has that moment where he reconnects with Leia kind of. And that's when he seems to like have fully reconnected. But when Ray strikes him down is when he stops himself from falling with the force and kind of giving this inclination that he's, he's back with it. But that was the moment to me where I was like, Oh shit. Like I would not be surprised if she runs off with Kylo and, and something more happens there. There's anger in her face. And there's also the, the scene when he's first, showing her the force and how to connect with it. And she turns right to the dark side right away or mm-hmm. the, the thing, the cave thing. Um, he says that was the, the darkest thing and you just ran right to it. You didn't even question yeah. it. So I think it does tempt it more than I expected it to. I guess um, I just feel like Ridley's performance is really effective at, at conveying that she is very uh, pure of heart, you know, and that I, I guess yeah, I just yeah. never really felt like she would ever, go that way you know i think it's more like she's very willful right if she sets her mind out to do something this character even if it means attacking the fabled luke skywalker <laughs> if she believes he did something wrong she'll do it and right. i found that i found that to be really motivating and interesting hmm. honestly okay yeah. all right i want to point out something that i noticed uh at the end well one of the big one of the big um arguments that i got in uh on privately with people who will remain nameless was that the um 
Luke's ability to do the astral projection isn't seeded anywhere. It kind of comes out to, out of nowhere. And it's a big, <laughs> because it's such a big thing to be able to do that it feels a bit like a deus ex machina or some kind of convenient contrivance rather than something that you could have seen coming, but didn't because of the way, how good the movie is, you know, it's not, it's not like crossing the streams in ghostbusters where it's seated at the beginning of like, Oh, we can't ever do that. And like, Oh, that's the one thing we have to do. Um, but I love, you know, and, and I, and I think what's so convenient about it. That's my question. You have to kill yourself to do this. Right. No, I don't agree with this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that Luke is, is literally has, has renounced the force is washed up, is out of practice, knows he's too weak to show up and face down an entire army. But and and it in the movie saying it isn't about that it isn't about a hero coming at the end and saving everybody he's literally just a distraction he's mm-hmm. just a distraction and i i uh, i realized he is a phantom menace <laughs> yeah so, how dare cool. you how dare you jeff yeah. <laughs> he's he's quite literally a phantom menace mm. for, the, for the first order anyway. all, all right. the taxation behind <laughs> last yeah. last question guys uh for all, all of you i mean i think People were thinking, you know, they're setting up Snoke as the big bad for episode nine, and now that's not going to happen anymore because Snoke's dead. Um, <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and so, so this uh, – on, on the one hand, uh, Ryan Johnson's really kind of made things difficult for, for J.J. Abrams directing episode nine. But on the other hand, uh, he's also really given J.J. Abrams a lot of leash to, to do what he wants because J.J. Abrams could start this next movie – uh, five minutes after uh, the Last Jedi, yep. or he could start it five years after the Last Jedi. You know, he does. He's not leaving it like this. This episode we knew was gonna have to deal with the Ray Luke thing somehow. Uh, right. But the next episode, he he, he can do anything he wants. You know, maybe Ray is a general at that point. You know, like any anything is possible. Is there? But I guess. Yeah, it, yeah. And, um, JJ left his playground really messy, and <laughs> Ryan like cleaned up after himself. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I think my favorite uh, tweet about this was I think Alan Schurstall from Village Voice said, uh, "You know how in improv class you're supposed to say yes and, you know." Um, yeah. JJ Abrams is like, "Okay, here's like the Force Awakens, you know, and now you're supposed to say yes and." And Ryan Johnson just says no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm butchering it, of course. But That's uh, so. Is there anything you guys are looking forward to in the next episode, or is there is there something you mm-hmm. think is gonna happen? Like, do you think the next episode is gonna be about like Kylo Ren's redemption or Ray turning to the dark side? Kind of what, what are you that, looking forward to, or what do you think will happen in the next episode? Any, anyone? I think I think this is gonna be a Daenerys Jon Snow situation. Not that they're mm-hmm. gonna get it on, but that we are gonna realize that, or I think I think where it's headed, where it seems to be headed now that you can't have a Carrie Fisher in, in the movie because I think pre- previously where it was headed was Kylo being tempted by the light and his emperor is Leia. But I think where it's headed now, it seems to me is that you can't have an all light universe and you can't have an all dark universe. You have to find a way for both to coexist. And there was going to be some sort of coming together of the fire and the ice uh, I think, and I think you see the seeds of that in this movie with Ray and Kylo sort of connecting in a in a way that 
the, those two sides aren't supposed to connect. Like they understand each other. They, they both understand each other in a way that no one else can, you know, and they're, they're the, each other's mirror image. And the, the way that you sort of can combine those two things to create something even more uh, stable, I think maybe where we're headed. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lin- Lindsay, anything you're, you're psyched about? Yeah, I actually kind of wrote about that on thrillist.com this week um, about how there, there's kind of this concept of, um, gray Jedi. I, I don't know that it'll be quite that specific, but I agree that I think there will be that Ray in stealing the books and in kind of knowing that she has to continue this order, but in a different way than it's ever been before has to find some way of removing, as Luke calls it, the vanity from the force. Um, and and making it not a concept of Sith or Jedi, but just making it everyone can everyone who's force sensitive can use it in um, a way that's that's positive and not picking sides, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I'm really hopeful for. I don't know where I think about I don't know where I fall about the Kylo Redemption thing. I'm I think the door is open for it. I don't know that I want it. <laughs> I think he's kind of really situated himself as the bad guy. He's yeah. in both movies now made a very clear choice to choose the dark path. And I think I'd rather Ray just kill him, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, maybe that's not totally what I should want, but um, yeah. And I, I also hope there's a significant time jump. That's my biggest, my biggest hope. I want to see them like, after they've kind of regathered forces in the outer rims or whatever they were talking about and having a little bit more stability, maybe they're still the underdogs, but have sort of woken up this, this fight among people in the other planets, the more impoverished people and stuff. And yeah, I want to see Poe Dameron with a beard. That's my biggest. Point. <laughs> That's all the I really want. Beard. Yeah. Scruffy Poe Dameron. Yep. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, well, I think uh, we can wrap it up. Uh, I, I feel yeah. like I could talk with you guys about this movie for another hour, but uh, it is How getting late. How great is that? Kind of a good movie. Maybe yeah. we'll, I actually have, uh, one, more, I have yeah. one more mini point. I promise I won't go on for too long, but I do want to say I can empathize, and I don't want to be a total apologist for this film. I can empathize with the people that were really heartbroken by it. I really hated Rogue One. I was that person last year, the people who hate this movie. Uh, it kind of broke my spirit a little yeah. bit. Not so Which much. Which also about... hasn't aged well too. So yeah, you know. yeah. I, I actually, you know, I watched it recently and I still, I still like it anyway. Yeah. I'll just put that yeah that's, and that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I, my po- overall point is that I know what it feels like to be a star Wars fan who doesn't like a star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And a thing that I think is an important thing to keep in mind is that even if something's canon or not canon or whatever, you can be selective about how you choose to see things. If for you, Star Wars ends in Return of the Jedi, if that's Luke's story that you want to preserve in your mind, you can kind of seclude that off and that's special to you. And maybe these movies are just whatever. Um, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind as fans. And I think that's something that will help us not be so vitriolic and cruel to one another is just learn how to be selective about <laughs> about your fandom you don't have to be angry if it's not what you wanted it to be or you know w- whatever that's kind of just an end I, point <laughs> my favorite tweet that i saw this week somebody said uh you know there's a petition going around to have this movie stricken from the canon but uh, Star Wars fans should know better than anybody else. If you strike something down, it only rises up stronger than you could possibly imagine. Nice. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's I true. thought that was a pretty good tweet. I know? thought you were going to go uh, with the direction of canon, like 
the canon pun somehow like give them oh. that, you know that there's stricken had to be had to say stricken mm. or else it wouldn't have worked see? yeah i mean well there's I, I, let's just put it this way i'll be very disappointed if there is a laser mounted on a gigantic planet-sized uh vehicle oh, i know right yeah. episode nine. If the star cult star killer base is actually operational yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean guys how Disappointed would you be if that was the case? Like, like, I think we'd all be pretty disappointed, right? It would be. It would be, thing, especially yeah. because of how, what this movie is saying, right. which is like, "Fuck all that! Yeah. Fuck all that noise!" Yeah. The but thing that seen... would really break my heart is if JJ walks back the Ray parentage reveal too, yeah. and is like, "Actually, yeah. Kyla was lying," I and like know. that would. It's very possible off. he could do that. He could. It do is. That. Yeah, yeah. It is. I that think. Would be, um, I think that would be a massive mistake. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited for this. Uh, well, first of all, you know, one thing that was pointed out was there's a scene. If we're geeking out about random stuff, uh, one thing that was pointed out was there's a scene where Ray is really happy about rain falling down in the uh, yeah. Octo planet, mm-hmm. and uh, someone on Reddit pointed out she probably has never seen rain before in her entire life. Yeah, uh, oh, and wow. I just thought, yeah. yeah, that was a great moment when she's kind of like reaching over under the Falcon, and there's rain coming down. And she's really psyched about it. And yeah. when I first saw the movie, I was like, huh, what, what was up with that? But th- now it's it's clear, yeah, maybe she's never seen Rain before. It's all so new and exciting for her. So I thought, I thought awesome. that was delightful. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited for the unknown, you know, uh, in, in the future of this series. That yeah. we've, so much of what this franchise has revolved around is this eternal struggle between the Rebellion and, you know, the First Order or the Empire, whatever the hell you want to call them, those two sides, it's all about this war, it's all about this struggle. Um, you know, we, we were talking, we've talked in the past about how, oh, it would be so great if there was a heist film, you know, in the Star Wars universe. There was, but it was centered around stuff that we already know about, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next so, one is Han Solo because we don't know what his deal is yet. Right, so, <laughs> so I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious in what directions they can take this movie, uh, this franchise, mm-hmm. because all we know about the franchise is the stuff around the Death Star, and you know, like, I would say ninety percent of it is just about this struggle, this war, and um, ATAT walkers. You know, all, all this stuff is is about conflicts that we've seen. Yeah, uh, and, and there is now the potential to do something crazy uh, and new and interesting, and we'll see if uh, JJ picks it up and, and does it in Episode Nine. And, so. and after the Force Awakens, it really seemed like you could plot out where the trilogy was going and how it would, you wouldn't, you didn't know the exact beats, but it felt like, Oh, I see the overarching, you know, template template here. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that's all blown up, what a gift, what a gift to give everybody to, not know. I mean, I think Peter. I'm not sure J.J. Abrams feels that way, but uh, yeah, it's a gift to all of us. Yeah. Well, I think Peter had a an interview on slashfilm.com with Ryan Johnson that is a spoilery interview, and they they make that exact point. He says, you know, I, 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 you know, Ryan says something, and Peter says, yeah, I have no idea where it's going, and Ryan says, yeah, isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it absolutely is exciting. Like that, that is the best gift you could give the fandom is. <laughs> It's, we're not just w- wondering who is who really is Snoke. We're like, where what is in store for us in general? Like that's an mm-hmm. amazing place to be. I, yeah, I can't yeah. wait for Star Piece. <laughs> Star Piece. <laughs> that's Ryan Johnson's trilogy. Yeah, it's just all right, a bunch uh, of people doing doing really charitable just work. Chilling, just chilling, <laughs> explore the, all these planets. Yeah. 
All right, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully people listening have gotten a lot out of it. Uh, Lindsay, tell us where we can find more of your work on the Internet. Yeah, you can find me on SlashFilm.com. You can also find me on Thrillist, um, Vulture. I'm kind of all over the place. I'm a freelancer. So, yeah, just you can follow me on Twitter, actually, at Lindsay Romaine. So. All right, cool. And you guys know where to find us, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Next week we'll be back with the post review of the new Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, but we might be a couple days late because we spent two hours talking about The Last Jedi today. So, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you later.